the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your host, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. <laughs> Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to the Mid-South Gardening Show. I'm Veda Vance with Palladio. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. Yes, he is, and I'm Jim Crowder, and I am the administrator of our Facebook group, uh, Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USDA zone six, seven, and eight. Have you started picking up at all on oh, the band? Yeah, we've added this week uh, well over a hundred new members. Um, we're just a few members shy of eleven thousand now. So uh, uh, one of these days you're going to have to do something. I mean, y- well, yeah. In fact, I did some few things this week to make it a little easier for me. Uh, I read the um, I new cha- introduction. I changed a few words in that, um, and. We were getting a really high percentage of people who didn't answer the questions, you know. And I figure mm-hmm. if you're not going to answer the questions, you know, you, then you're not going to play the game right. <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, right. Um, so, yeah, so that's my point, though. You can't answer, you know, well, I don't, eleven thousand. Yeah, questions. I don't want to answer every question. Right. You know, if, if somebody tags my name in there, yeah, yeah, I'll answer it. Of course, okay. You know, but if somebody's just got a general question out there, I'll leave it for twelve. 24 hours, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's the way it's supposed to be. Right. And then if nobody chimes in, then then I'll I'll do something. But anything uh, really going on with the page? I mean, as far as the questions, Jim, I mean, no. is it just normal? Hey, it's what do I do to my soul? Much, you know, you get a lot of people now are, are worried but don't need to be about things coming up because it's been so warm and we have such a long period of time now before the possibility of our last frost and freeze but if you guys will remember back first of the year i said that we might very possibly have our last frost in february and i stand by that oh you're on tape okay (laughs) i was watching the news this morning and one of the the uh newscasters said he goes, March is the month that I like the least because it's so confusing. It's uh, it's just up and down. It's and, wet. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. cold. And I said, he must be a gardener because it wasn't a garden show. <laughs> I said, he must be a gardener because that's how I feel about March, too. You just never know. Yeah, and no. I haven't looked at April very much yet, but yeah. the next four weeks look really good to me. I don't yeah, – I, I see do. one night around 40 maybe, um, yeah. but looks – Really, really good. That's that. That would be not, unbelievable if that be great really did for happen the, for the nursery business yeah. and just people in general getting them out of this winter blahs. Right. You know, but then there's me who's like, I still need some more winter. I'm not quite ready for the spring to happen. Well, and one <laughs> thing also is it, and it never fails. You know, the deciduous magnolias that are blooming right now. And we'll oh, talk yeah. about those later on. I wrote some notes about them is they never make it through their full blooming cycle. The, the ones that bloom early anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the big, you know, the Selangianas that right. are out there bloom, the saucer magnolias, even the star magnolias. I can't remember a year where they make it from beginning uh-huh. to end as far as that bloom and not getting knocked off yeah. by some of these crazy late frost that we get. Well, mark this down on yeah. your Master know, Gardener calendar because <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> unless that forecast changes tremendously and. No, I don't think so. So this might be the year. This is going to be a good year. However, a lot of people lost some of their blooms to the crazy winds. Yeah. yeah the winds mm-hmm. are amazing. Yeah, about four, three days in a row, it yeah. was really, really getting it. And speaking of, of frost also, and that's the thing around here, like Jim was saying, that is 
we'll have beautiful, warm, spring-like weather, mm-hmm. you know, for a couple of weeks, and then we get a killing frost. And then, the, of course, the frost date's not until April 15th. And like you're saying, Jim, you're looking at some of the long-term forecasts, and maybe this year will be a little different where we'll have a normal spring. And when I mean a normal spring, things blooming early in the year, quince, forsythia, mm-hmm. full bloom right now, absolutely beautiful, deciduous magnolias, on and on and on and on to where they don't just get killed by some of these crazy late frosts that we get. Last year, even though the frost date's April 15th, I'm telling you, on April the 17th, I was scraping the windshield yeah. from a heavy <laughs> frost. That's right. And that's, that's you right. know, and that's the thing, man. You just don't know. You don't know. That's the fun of it, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but also, speaking of frost, you know, you, y'all always talk about the placement of camellias, especially the japonicas, you know, that bloom later on. A lady came into the garden center yesterday with a limb that she had cut off her camellia, japonica, and the bud was brown. Okay, mm-hmm. and she had scale, but yeah. you know we talked about that <laughs> T scale on it, of course. But the bud was brown. Well, I started peeling back some of the brown, and there was some live tissue still left inside that bud. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, it's probably not going to bloom, right. you know, because of all the mm-hmm. damage uh, on the outside. But you do have some live tissue in here. And she was like, well, what caused that? Is it a disease? I said, no, it's the weather that caused that. So, Jim, once again, where should I put a Camellia japonica and where should I not put one? Because I've talked Mm -hmm. to her about this. I said, you know, when you get a frost on it and then the sun comes up in the morning, like on that eastern side of the house, exactly where it was. Right. The sun hits that bud with that frost on it and it causes that thing to either decay or split so the east side is not a good and that's where i would put my camellias it, it's not you know unless you've got some sort of shade and even the shade like we say a shade of a deciduous tree will help uh it's all about the ground temperature okay uh in in the case of back with this in january it was just the extreme cold and wind that so many Camellia japonicas, even though you're not seeing color, had begun the buds were swelling. Yeah. So they were much more uh, susceptible to damage than those that had very tight buds. So we're seeing, you know, some Camellias here locally now that are beginning to open up and, and look fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it was just unfortunate. And, and that's one of the things about Camellia japonicas. We have some that start as early as the first of the year. You know, right. and now we have some that don't bloom until mid-April or so. Right. You know, so you know, I would focus on those later blooming ones, uh, and most of those tend to be a little bit hardier. Uh, and yeah, but as far as where would I put one? Well, you know, probably the north side of the house would be ideal. You know. Grenada, Mississippi, southward would be a good idea. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> no, you know, if it, zone A, you know, which we're now in, um, <laughs> right? I, you know, north side of the house is really the ideal place because that's your coldest <clears throat> ground, and that's mm-hmm. going to keep that bud from swelling until a little later in the season. Well, so. there's uh, <clears throat> at Phillip's parents' house. There, he's got or she's got camellias that are facing east. Mm-hmm. East, southeast, mm-hmm. pretty much, and trees over it. And um, she had lots of camellias. And, of course, they all died um, or knocked back. But one camellia that was planted, they were planted too close with some hollies. 
So the bottom level of the camellia is green and has a couple of blooms on it. Mm -hmm. The rest of it is just dead as can be. But it was protected enough facing that way. Well, I mean, we all know that they really took a beating also, you know, over a little over a year ago when we had that flash freeze. And evergreens in general did. But I still think it's one of those plants where, you know, I hope and pray that was just a hiccup and we don't see that often. You know, I've never seen it quite like that, I don't think, mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Uh, but they still got people a little skittish about the damage that they saw. Even, you know, what about lower pedlums, guys? You know, it's one of those mm-hmm. things where I never really... We, we've always seen lore pedlums. I've seen the, the foliage get toasted, yeah. fall off, and they flush back out the next spring. Well, I've still, I'm out there driving around, going home and to work, and I still see dead lore pedlums out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So, and distilliums again. Yeah. So is that something that, is that another one of those shrubs where, you know, I know. is what it marginal? We, see, I was thinking about things like that this week and started to make a list of, the things that never had an issue. You know, mm-hmm. there's even things that have died back and they're coming back. Oh, but sure. they still haven't come back looking good. And that's what I thought was going to happen. But let's go to a break and y'all get awake. Give us a call. 901-260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If you're going to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926. 901 260 2-6, and you can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, like Jan Childers, one of our dirt buddies. She's up and uh, listening this morning. She said, March Madness describes the weather, not just basketball yeah, tournament. Exactly. And March you know, we Madness, never, so true. We never think about the role of how our um, weather goes up and down on insects. I mean, I've thought about that, and I'm like, doesn't this get their cycle off? You know, yay, it's spring, we're ready, let's do our thing, and they start doing their thing, and then all of a sudden it's time to hibernate again. Yeah, Ideally, we would want a winter where we have warm temperatures early in January for a week or so, followed by very cold. Followed by a warm-up, followed by very cold. Now, that would be hard on us, but... Right, but you get generations of insects being killed off Mm. so that when we actually get to the warm season, there are less of them there. Mm. So it takes a good while for them to rebuild the population where we just have these little cold spells and then it turns warm that's good for bugs yeah <laughs> which of course is good for the three of us but it's not so good <laughs> right. for you guys that are listening <laughs> they have to buy this stuff yeah yes uh, well know, there's because we always think of plants but never about the insects and then again i'm in that dilemma of how i'm always saying leave everything for the beneficial insects and you know keep the cycle going and all of that but how am i not going to clean my beds right now with the weather coming up so beautiful yeah i feel like i should just start start you know cleaning and and uh well we did one bed we cleaned it prepared it cut the roses back mm-hmm. trimmed up the wax myrtle got everything raked out yeah. new mulch in right. the whole not, bit. not new mulch yet now they're they're looking at me going what are you going to plant there and i'm going i don't know i can't make up my mind yeah so yeah, so that's that, where we are. Carol has. Carol likes to weed. I mean, thank you, Jesus, for <laughs> giving me a wife what that a, likes to weed. What a blessing! <laughs> so, You're so blessed. <laughs> yes. Anyway, you know, she has gotten the front bed just virtually. I mean, she's pulled up every individual little annual bluegrass that was in there. So I'm ready to put down the pre-emerge. Got a big bag ready to go. But then I got stuff that I'm going to plant. 
you know, transplant from the mm-hmm. other house. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I've moved a good many of them, but I've got things to divide, which is going to mess up the the pre-emergent, the, the barrier. Order. So I'm thinking, well, let's wait a little bit longer. And I think, gosh, no, the weeds are going to come up. You know, yeah, so I'm in a, I'm a little bit of a dilemma yeah. there. Well, but so. Jim, you made a point though. When you typically put a pre-emergent down in a bed, the ideal scenario is to mm-hmm. apply the pre-emergent, water it in. And don't go in there and do any scratching or digging once you do that. Right, even pulling weeds. Yeah. Right. That's, you know, you break that barrier. Yeah, you're breaking little holes in that barrier when you do that. Every time you pull a weed or every time you stick a trowel down right. there. So, and I get it. You know, a lot of times that just, we can't do that. Mm. But I am a firm believer in using that pre-emergent, not only in the lawn, but in the beds. But I'm, a lot of people will put that pre-emergent down because it's time to do it, yeah. which it is. And then they'll go in there and just start digging holes everywhere. Mm-hmm. How long? Um, how long were you saying? Maybe possibly wait before you break that barrier. Well, anytime within three months. Yeah, yeah that's you know? what I thought. So, that's what's why yeah. so many people, you know, they'll put a pre-merge down on their yard, but then they run their edger down the sidewalk, and that's where the weeds come up because <laughs> you broke that barrier right there. Yeah. You know. So and yeah. you're right. So why do you see weeds always down the edge of the driveway and the sidewalk, mm-hmm. not right. in the lawn? Mm-hmm. You've destroyed that little chemical barrier. Right. Some people drive by yards and go, "Ooh, look at those weeds," and some people drive by yards and go, "Ooh, look at that salad." Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, even in your vegetable garden, if you particularly if you've tilled it and got it really nice and easy to work, you know, mm-hmm. even walking in there can disrupt the barrier. Yeah. So you know, the ground is so soft, Jim. That's right. You know, when we uh, when I was doing some of the creative gardening, small beds and landscapes, um, I would just do everything. And then our last thing before we put the, um, no, the last thing even after mulch, we would throw pre-emergent out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good point you just mm-hmm. made also. And, you know, I don't mind either way, putting a pre-emergent down, then putting the mulch down or put the mulch down, put the pre-emergent down. But I'd rather do it the latter because... You, If you put the pre-emergent down at ground level, yes, you are controlling weed seed at ground level, right? And you put the mulch on top of that. Mm-hmm. Well, weed seeds are always getting blown around. Yeah, right. And you're going to get weed seeds blown into that bed. And you can get certain weeds to germinate in mulch mm-hmm. on top of where you put yeah. the pre-emergent down. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> ideally, I'd put my pre-emergent down. And then if I was, to, I was going to come back and mulch the bed... I wouldn't overdo it, but I'd put a light layer of pre-emergent even on top of that mulch. Right. Yeah, because we're still going to have the... Um, Perennial weeds that come nut, up. Yeah, the nut grass. Yeah. Pre-emergent's not going to help that. Because it's not coming up from seed. It's yeah. coming up from a nut. Right, and that's in the soil, but it'll come right through that mulch. It'll mm. come up through shade cloth, and then, plastic. And Jim Asphalt. Made, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jim made a comment a while ago about, you know, putting pre-emergents down... Uh, and, you know, really tilling up a garden area to really soften that soil. Well, a lot of times we'll go out there and we'll till an area. Let's say if we're going to lay sod, right? Mm-hmm. We get the little mantis tiller out. We're tilling everything up, getting it all smooth, raking it smooth, and we come back and lay that sod down, and it looks beautiful. But every, between every gap of the sod, you get all these weeds starting to come yeah. up. And people are like, what is going on? I've never had this problem You've before. You've given me sod that has weeds in yep. it. Right. <laughs> but what happens is weeds can lay dormant for up to 30 years. And if you get out there with a little tiller, whether it's in a bed or whether it's in a lawn, and you bring those weed seed up close to the surface, they're going to germinate. 
Now, they would have never germinated if you hadn't done anything to that mm-hmm. soil. Yeah, and so many weed seed that land on top of the soil will not germinate until they're covered. <laughs> so. Okay? So, which is, you know, normally that would happen in the fall when they get covered with leaves and you mm-hmm. see them the following spring. Uh, so, you know, some weeds need sunlight mm-hmm. to be able to germinate. So it's, you're kind of danged if you do and danged right. if you don't. There. So my uh, recommendation is... You can do your pre-emergent and get rid of some. You can hand pull some others, and then you can eat some others. But you're not going to be able to get everything with the pre-emergent. No, because, <laughs> I mean, there are perennial weeds, not only nutgrass like you talked about, that's coming up from a nut, not a seed. But they do actually come up from seed and nut. Yeah, and, and there are some annual ones that come up. Right, but yeah. it helps, but it's not the total answer. Yeah. But there are perennial weeds that come back every year from root. You know, yeah, and, you just, and you've got to get in there and either, like you said, Veda, either dig those things up or use a herbicide. But my whole point is pre-emergents are great. You should use them. Now is the time to use them. But don't think it's going to control every weed that's out there. It, yeah. yeah, but it <clears throat> definitely, there's no doubt about it, is a benefit for you to do it. Because anytime you can cut your weeds down, you know, how could that be a negative? And it reduces the time that you have to spend spraying. You know, and, and that's harder than just throwing granules out. Yeah, and another example is, for some reason, I'm seeing more little onion clumps come up in my yard than I ever have. And it's not like it's crazy, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing more than I ever have. Onion clumps. Onion clumps. They're just an onion clump. A clump of onions. <laughs> and we know they're coming up from a bulb, right? Yeah. So if I put a pre-emergent down, which I've already done... It's not going to control that onion at all. There again, because that's not a seed. Man, when you mow that, that means spring. Ugh. The smell of that onion when you mow. I don't that's think those onions are going to me. be there by the first time I mow because I'm a, I'm a new Veda and I had this same conversation in a garden um, group that we had one year. She said this, the smell of that onions reminds her. Of spring, as it reminds me of weed be gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. I remember that. I so I was like, oh, that's a good one. Such a good one. <laughs> it reminds me of a broadleaf weed killer. Right. Even, but even though an onion looks like a grass, it's actually a broadleaf weed. Oh. And like Jim was saying, weed be gone, weed free zone, weed beater ultra, any of those broadleaf weed killers, most of them will get rid of those onions. And like weed free zone, for example, you can spray it anytime the temperatures are above 45 degrees and it's not going to rain for 24 hours. So the weather we had, you know, yeah. before the windy weather we had, um, it's perfect time to get out there and do some early spraying on those broadleaf weeds, including onion clumps. <laughs> well, and I did see hen bits starting to come up and blooming really pretty. And what else have I seen? Of course, well, everything's Chickweed. kind of in, in the right right timing, though, because uh, daffodils are up and yeah. um, every, you know, it's all of a sudden like stop and look at the blooms. Mm-hmm. You, you know, know, I think last week I mentioned that normally I've seen forsythia in bloom by then, but I didn't hadn't seen much. Mm-hmm. And then like two days later, yeah. bam, right. they all exploded. Yeah, you know? it was. Uh, you know, it, they're back close to on time. Yeah, they yeah. are. And, right. and it's one of those things where when we were growing up, there was really just one big forsythia, you know, mm-hmm. six foot tall, six yeah. foot wide, weeping thing, and it's still beautiful, mm-hmm. blooms all over it. Well, you ought to some of the new varieties of something like even forsythia that had those much bigger blooms on right. them. There's some dwarf varieties out there. I mean, they're absolutely stunning, and I've never, I would never say that about an old-fashioned forsythia. They're nice looking, you know, they're early mm-hmm. blooming, I get it. 
but not a beautiful bloom like some of these new hybrids out there. Right. Yeah. Where I really enjoy them is because, you know, if it's cold outside, you can go out and cut a few limbs, stick them in water, and a week or so, you got color yeah. in the house. You True. Know? I'm waiting for ours to get here. They're on the truck, on the way. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, everything, don't bloom out yet. Let me get our forsythias here. And they're the, I think they're the dark, dark yellow blooming oh, ones. Yeah. 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 So I'm excited about things coming in that look like spring. And then, of course, in the greenhouse, I'm trying to regulate mm. it again. It's too hot. The things are trying to grow. Pull them out. No, yeah. it's going to be too cold and damage them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Customers are complaining it's too hot in the greenhouse. So you want to take the plastic off, but you take the plastic off, you're going to have to put it back <laughs> yeah. on after the earth. <laughs> so true. I don't know how we do it around here, well, honestly. Yes. You know, like in the northern area, some garden centers are closed all through the winter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they they've set they set their whole uh business up on play paying the employees through the winter mm-hmm. because they got and i'm sure they go up there and do some stuff but at least we get to be open this is <laughs> at true. least we get to go out and work in the yard mm-hmm. i cannot imagine just being shut down or how about the people that have the springs from june to september yeah <laughs> that's their i mm-hmm. mean their summer they're growing season. Yeah, so. we shouldn't complain too much because at least we do have seasons around here. But early on, with our weather up and down, it's pretty tricky. Well, I also like the um, different seasons because of the different types of flowers and different yeah. types of plants. Where I, I do love Florida, and it's warm all the time, but it's always the same yeah. look. You know, there's yeah. never any gorgeous fall color. There's never any beauty of the winter beauty of the seed heads on the ornamental grasses and all that. So I, I do love the change of season for all the varieties we get here. Well, we talked about this last year, but when we get back, I want to talk about, and Jim's, Jim got me talking about this, thinking about this, about the good old-fashioned Bradford pear. Boy, are they around. Good old. Should not be using that same. Good old-fashioned yeah, Bradford old. pear, Jim. We'll be right back. 901-260-5926. can join us this morning give us a call 901-260-5926 you can stream us on the mighty 990 or you can listen to our podcast later yes you can in fact yeah. i was talking to a lady came to the garden center yesterday and she was listening to the podcast <laughs> so she pulled the little things out and said i'm listening to y'all right now kenny <laughs> i said well thank you uh but you can always shoot us a text on the mighty 990 facebook page mid-south gardening and tell your friends you know that live in seattle or chicago or whatever that they can listen to the finest information on our podcast oh there you go anytime they, can they listen want. to us live anywhere in the country and that, that is uh kwamradio.com yep streaming live all the time right yep. absolutely all right guys driving down walnut grove from germantown road let's say down to the wolf river bridge okay if you look in well you can't help but miss it right now on both sides of the road especially on the uh, the north side of walnut grove there are these beautiful, white-blooming trees. And I'm like, man, is that not a beautiful look, really, honestly? Well, but there's a story behind that, right, Jim? Yes, there is. Because, you know, back in the 1960s, America fell in love with a brand-new tree, the Bradford pear. Okay, It was cultivated from an Asian stock by scientists at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, believe it or not. Another one of their fine introductions. <laughs> <laughs> because they were looking for the perfect urban tree. Right, Jim? Uh, Bradford pears displayed clouds of beautiful white blooms in the spring, beautiful garnet leaves in the fall, 
and are hardy enough to grow just about anywhere. Thinking they had found the perfect ornamental tree, homeowners and public works departments planted Bradford pears up and down the <laughs> nation's streets for decades, especially in the East, the South, and the Midwest. Then the relationship soured. Yes, it did. <laughs> so what was the deal with Bradford pears and these beautiful white blooming trees I'm seeing up and down Warnock Grove right now? Okay, well, first of all, the Bradfords were not a good tree, okay? They are genetically weak in Mm -hmm. the trunk, so that's why we see them split. And they usually don't do that until they get some size on them, and they have that kind of nice spade-looking Beautiful, pear-shaped, yes. And and, and so thick in foliage that they're like a little catcher's mitt, and they Mm -hmm. just grab the wind, and they tend to split. But they were supposed to be sterile. They weren't supposed to produce viable fruit. exactly right. Uh, but they did. They actually produced a little tiny pear. Mm-hmm. Now, birds could not eat the wild pear, mm-hmm. you know, unless they found the seed after the fruit had rotted. Mm-hmm. But these birds like to eat. And so what we found <laughs> was that these and the wild pear would cross-pollinate. That was the problem. Yes. And then the birds eat the seeds. And then the birds, wherever they land, would plant one. Yep. And so they have just gone wild and become a technically invasive plant. And it is a hybrid between the calorie pear, the Bradford, and some of the other ones that were introduced, but mostly the Bradford, uh, with the wild pear. And they're absolutely spectacular when they're in bloom. Yeah. Yeah. And they, but like I said, the, the, they thought they had found the perfect tree for urban environments and they planted them things i mean think about it guys i mean you couldn't drive down any city street without seeing bradford pears you couldn't see any especially new home being built in landscape that didn't have bradford pears all in the landscape Yeah, now they're not in the urban landscape but they're all in the side of the road and in the fields those are the ones that got away that's a bummer because they are so beautiful it just looks like snow when you see a a a big clump of them it looks like snow but that is an experiment that went horribly bad horribly wrong and i think i've told you all about this once before many many years ago i donated some koi when the the bartlett um city hall opened up their japanese garden behind it you know and so uh charlie goforth at that time was like city manager or whatever the title was and and he said you know we have a um a committee it's the, the kind of a planning commission thing that it's a volunteer thing but we could really use somebody on that committee that's got some plan experience mm-hmm. you know uh, and he said would you consider um <coughs> serving i said well yeah i would and he said you know we just recently made the bradford pear the bartlett city tree and i said well that's stupid <laughs> he never called me back <laughs> You know, everybody else, universities all over the country were tearing them, taking them out, you know, cutting them down because they found that they, you know, they just split like mad. I guess that's uh, why they needed a gardener on the board. That's (laughs) why they did, you know, but there are some states that will. Now it's the cherry bark uh, oak is the. Is that the new Bradford That No, that's the new city tree of bark. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, new, it's been that way for a number yeah. of years now. But but there are even states that will pay you to cut your Bradford pear down. Oh, oh that yeah. would be cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was reading about that the other night. They were, I mean, there's such a bounty on them now. But it, it, it's weird how, I mean, honestly, everybody thought that was the perfect tree because it did have the beautiful white blooms, the beautiful fall color, the just the shape of the tree mm-hmm. itself. 
But then, like Jim said, you, you know, they're, they're, they're very readily, you know, splitting every time you get a high wind. They split every time you get a little ice on them. They crack in half. And remember, y'all guys, after they started getting a little more mature, like Jim was yeah. saying, drive down any neighborhood and you would see half mm-hmm. that Bradford yeah. pear. Mm-hmm. Always missing a part of it. Yeah, kind of like the gutsu. The Katsu was going to solve a lot of problems. good idea in the Department of Agriculture. So was, yeah. you know, the multiflora rose, you know. Huh. The, um, I mean, you think of, I know plants are, I mean, it's hard to understand what plants are going to do in different environments and all. And maybe we're learning from that, but that seems like uh, a number of, a lot of things for them to mess up on. Well, that's what I'm trying to well, say. Well, I mean, there's so many, think but about it. it's been over the well, years, Well, when you're focused too. on something doing something, yeah. you kind of want to overlook what it, the other thing. Could do, yeah. You know? It's That's like, true. you know, all of all of the information that we got about how imidacloprid was killing the honeybees was based on bad science. Yeah. I mean, even the guy who did the experiments, who became the poster child and was flown all around the world, you know, talking about how imidacloprid is, uh, is killing bees, he, he changed the experiment when he mm-hmm. didn't get the results because when he first did it, he found that imidic- bees that were feeding on imidacloprid had were hardier, they had healthier hives, they had more babies in them. So he just increased the imidacloprid like 40 times, and that finished it. And with, and with that science, uh, Jim, that, that he was, his research, I mean, there were uh, countries that were banning oh, that yeah. product yeah. for that the, reason. The European Union banned imidacloprid. Now, they have come back and made some changes because, like, um, you know, we've, I think I've talked about how uh, Canada is a major producer of rapeseed for canola oil right. mm-hmm. and for honey. Yeah. Now, isn't that weird? You yeah. know, if you can treat that with honey, I mean, right. and bees are feeding on it and they're not dying. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, they, they, they had to back off on some of these decisions because it sounds like a good idea. It sounds yeah. like, you know, we're doing this to protect people. Right. But sometimes, you know, when you took a look at the options of the chemicals they have to go to, they're worse than the other, yeah, than yeah. the clubbert. Yeah. yeah. And it's those inert ingredients that's mixed with that's medicines right. and with chemicals and all that. The inert ingredients are worse than the actual chemical. I mean, they got it. I understand that. I don't understand, but I have um, researched that. All the byproducts of things, people want to do something with them instead of just throwing them away. And so we get, that's how we get inert ingredients in a lot of things. You read what the inert ingredients are and you're like, oh, I thought this was all good until it's. And, they, and a lot of those inert, they don't have to yeah, disclose. You know, it just as inert. Don't. And just this week I heard there was, a, you know, they have found in particularly some Quaker Oats products, the regular oats and the maple and brown sugar mm-hmm. instant stuff. Uh, found measurable amounts of a growth retardant, which is only for ornamental use here in the United States, but around the world they use it, you know, for on crops. That's weird. And so they found it in there. Now, this sounds really bad. They're talking about Mm -hmm. this. You know, they found this chemical in your Mm -hmm. food. But then at the very last they say, 
although the amounts are well below what the EPA says is acceptable. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so the, you, I mean, yes, the scare tactic, once again, will right, work. Right. You know? You know, when they when they measured, they checked water in the 50 largest cities in the United States, they found atrazine in every single one of them except one. Which is a weed killer. Memphis. Really? Because we get our water from the from artesian wells yeah. and not from surface water. I'll be darned. Yeah. So, you know, but they didn't tell you that the amounts were so, they were measurable, but they're so extremely small. Mm-hmm. One in a billion. You yeah. Know, yeah. You yeah. know. So, no, mm. I, there's so much stuff in stuff that <laughs> even though this stuff has a little bit of stuff. We what? have a lot of stuff well, we, mixed we, in. We, we may have to take a break for me to think about that. Uh, <laughs> so let, me say this real, let me say this real quick. One of the biggest, think about this, guys, uh, Roundup, you know, oh, yeah. which glyphosate. Mm-hmm. It's the more it's the inerts in there mm-hmm. that are really, right. you know, one of the things they're going after. Yeah. Right. Uh, exactly it's it. not just the active by itself. Yeah, and there's not a lot of, re- hasn't been research on those inerts, you know. Right. Yeah. Research is done no, on the active, right. you know. And it's like still to date, there has not been a single substantiated case of cancer related to glyphosate, which is yeah. round up. Right. You know? Well, it's and that in round That's up, the active, right? Yeah, yeah. Does, and doesn't have anything to do with the jury's yeah. decision. Yeah. You know? Right. That's right. Well, you know, and then they're talking about dicambia, and everybody's thinking they're taking it off the market because of the health, but they're taking it off the, trying to take it off the market because. The clouds that it right. creates and right. just decimates other pe- farmers. People aren't using it yeah. the right way. Right. right. Okay, we've got to go to a break, and we will be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can stream us online at the Mighty 990 or listen to our podcast or check us out on the Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. Yep. You, yeah. Yep. Used to be a 9 in there, but you took it off. I took it off, but now I may have to put yeah. it in there. Yeah, because now we're Zone 8, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and don't, like I told a young lady uh, yesterday, she called mm-hmm. me and she said, are we in, in Zone 8? And I went... Technically, we are. You know, we used to be a 7A, mm-hmm. then we went to a 7B, and now we're in a Zone 8. And I said, don't just rush out and start buying Zone 8 plants yeah. just yet, okay? Because, yeah, Zone 8 plants can grow here, so, so can Zone 7A and 7B plants. Well, did, but know, they can still get damaged in the early spring by a late frost. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing. <laughs> um, perennials. Had perennials in in the fall, right? Um, Shasta daisies, Rubeckia. Pinstema and things mm. like that. So I, I've just left them out in a a little bit more protected area because that's where our display is. And that cold spell that we had, we put them on a rack and put them in the warehouse yeah. for like a week. Didn't lose any foliage. They didn't mind being in the warehouse because it's cool and lots of light and all that. Pulled them back out. They're still sitting out with just gorgeous foliage mm-hmm. like I got in my spring stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking... Oh, I feel sad because I feel like they need to rest and they're just growing themselves. But I guess if they were in Florida, they wouldn't be resting. No. Well, you know, so many perennials right now just really look good. Daylilies mm-hmm. got a lot of growth on them. Yeah. One of the prettiest pants, pl- pants, plants to me is a stochesia. This time mm, of year, the foliage is just gorgeous on it. Yeah. A little tight clump doesn't have any winter damage that you can see on it. It's just a great oh. plant. I'm going to so talk about is, daylilies later on, Jim. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, you hit that right on the nail. 
What is, I hear more people have problems with stochesia, and I love that plant. What, what's your plant, y'all's planting recommendation for that? I've never heard any complaints. I mean, I've never yeah. grown it myself, yeah. honestly. I mean, usually when you're having a problem with perennials, mm-hmm. it's usually the soil is either really compact or it's just staying too wet, yeah. you know? So that, that one seems to be, because, you know, on the shelf, trying to retell it, it always seemed like it kind of looked worse sooner. So I don't know. I love the plant, so maybe got, I'll try it again. I've got several clumps. One of them is planted in fairly <laughs> poor soil, and it's mm-hmm. done. It's done well. Yeah. The one that's planted in an elevated bed grew bigger, faster. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that I always had problems with was stochesia, because being in the lawn and garden business, we work from dark until dark. Uh, and stochesia opens later in the morning, closes before night. So I never got to see it in flower. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting to see that now, yeah. which yeah. is so cool. <laughs> we well, you know it flowers, but I've never witnessed it. Yeah, that's crazy. And there's pink and blue. Oh, yeah. yeah. I might have to do that yeah. one again. Good. I'm glad to know that. That yeah, was Mary Gregory is a yellow, pale Ooh, yellow. I haven't seen I just, yeah, got... it's, it's kind of an interesting one too. Mary mm. Gregory. That's mm-hmm. okay. Because I'm so used to just seeing the blue, the light blue, purple, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I could do a yellow garden. You could get a Sensation Magnolia, Deciduous Magnolia, do the yellow Stochesia, the yellow roses, the yellow um, vine. The jasmines? Yes. I can't. What is the name of it? Carolina in. Jasmine. Or winter jasmine, too, right Ooh. now is in Ooh, bloom. Good, yeah. Yeah, you could do an all yellow garden and then accent it with some black plants. It'd be nice. Oh, then well, you have my, a bumblebee garden. Yeah. My uh, biggest thing, you know, there are a lot of things that are perennials, but in my opinion, there are some perennials that you just don't want or don't need ever, other than the one time that you, you need it. You don't want or you don't need. What I mean <laughs> is I had a gentleman coming to the garden center, and he was talking about, and I got to bring this up, and I won't do it again this year. He was talking about actually going to a friend's house because they were going to give him poinsettias. And I'm like... Uh, right now. You're talking yeah, about this and now. I'm like, Raymond, Why? <laughs> He's like, well, I've read about them, and they they get you know five to six uh-huh. foot tall, and they're beautiful. And I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna talk him out of this, but I'm gonna tell him. You're gonna educate. But him. I'm gonna give you my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I told y'all this story a thousand times in my mother's backyard. She did the same thing. She potted this poem set up. It was sitting out there in a pot. It was four, five foot tall, three foot wide, beautiful green foliage on it. You know, it went from red to green. And I, my shoulder just bumped it as I was cutting <laughs> her grass. And a million and one white fly flew out of that thing and surrounded yeah. me. I couldn't even see where I was. I couldn't breathe. Let me put it that way. It's how many white fly were on this thing. Ew. And I just thought then, why would anybody want to carry over a poinsettia? I'm not, I'm not saying don't do it. Don't get me wrong. But he was so excited about going yeah. to his friend's house that was going to give him the poinsettias, yeah. and he's going to grow these things. And I'm like, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm not yeah. going to say anything because I know the way I feel about it. And he could be and the one. And they're perennials. Yeah, he could be the one that makes it happen. They're not here, though. They're no, not No, 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 no. You're right. I mean, you're no, right, okay. Jim. do have a wild poinsettia here that is perennial. Yeah, and that um, doesn't Well, like um, Adam, our fountain tech, like six-foot-two guy, and he got a poinsettia take home to his mom two years ago. He came in last Christmas all excited. Look. You know, we've, I've kept this poinsettia alive all, all through this year, and it's still going. And I said, well, let me see a picture. And it was just like a stick Green with some leaves, leaves on white it. White fly flying it's, around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, 
Well, you see, the, the nice thing about it is the rest of your mom's yard wouldn't have any white flies. It's right. all drawn to that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, an, that's a smart gardening. Yeah. In that theory, that's Jim, maybe. Ca- that was companion planting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, but I just, I don't know. You know I, I I've just, always yeah. thought there were weeds, too. You Me, know? too, Jim. You know, but I have to admit, I have seen some. Uh, um, as background plants that have, you know, particularly in Florida where they, you know, grow year round and they have such a bright green foliage they on do. them with color in mm-hmm. front of them. They're really quite stunning, yeah. you know? But he was excited about picking them up and growing these things. Well, so well, I think it was like with Adam and his uh, small plant that he was really proud of. We like to make things grow oh, yeah. and we're proud of ourselves for making things grow. And so I was like, that's great. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> no, it lasted all this time. I can't make mine last that long because I get frustrated with it. <laughs> well, and, and what about houseplants? I had a young lady come in. She had taken some cuttings off of a gardenia. And the one that she brought in, it was one cutting mm-hmm. in one pot, okay? And it was a very peat-based soil that was in. And you could see the bur- the margins of the leaves were burning back. So this thing was either staying too wet or too dry at some point. And there's no way this thing was staying too dry because this was almost just pure peat she had it in. Um, and I was just saying, look, just keep this thing moist, not wet. Keep it warm. Take it outside as soon as you can because we all know that these plants that want to be outside grow much better outside than they do indoors. Now, I get it. You know, by default, she's had it inside because of the weather. But and use some root stimulators, some seaweed, Super Thrive, one of those type of products that will help stimulate some good root growth. But what about houseplants? I mean, is it okay for for me to take houseplants out when the weather's good? Mm-hmm. Like we had some beautiful weather. Yeah. And then if I see it's going to get cold again, just bring them back in. Yeah. Or is that yeah. just too much no. for them? Well, it's not for me, you know, yeah. because every day that the temperature is nice, I'll go out and I open the doors to the shed where the plants are. I pull mm. the big palms to the door okay. and face the yeah. south so they get plenty of sunlight. Because that's uh, really what they need. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, no, you know, and I had two smaller sagos that are beginning to yellow a little bit, and, and, and I think it's a fertilizer issue. But anyway, I've set those out for 10 days or so and just set them in this week for a couple of days. I know we might not out. have to take them back in That's the rest right. of the season. That's but right. yeah, we do that at the garden center. I'll say it's time for some of these just to go outside because, you know, some plants last indoors really nicely. They yeah. just don't have an issue. And then there's some that are like, I'm just getting kind of tired. Can you just yeah. give me some rejuvenation? Get me outside and let me do my thing. Yeah, right? yeah. So, and I mean, because you're, you're thinking, oh, am I going to be bringing bugs in and out and in and out or is it going to lose its leaves da, 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 back and forth but you're technically putting it in a better environment when you're taking it out yeah yeah so i don't really so no have, issue there really yeah, yeah. yeah i didn't know if it messed with the photosynthesis you know because you're going from yeah. a nice growing environment when you finally get it outside it's in warm weather you got you know natural sunlight yeah. believe it or not and then you're bringing it back in because you're afraid you know for the next week mm-hmm. we've got cold weather so you know, I would think some, in a way we would really n- definitely need to keep the fertilization up because... But if you do it well, now, don't you want to use half strength? We can go more over We're going to talk about that when we come back. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your host, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us today. I'm Veda with Palladio. I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim. See, he forgets... (laughs) 
from hour to hour who i am who he is <laughs> so we we hold up cards jim you know that's ma- administrator of the i can recall things from many many years ago very well well a good memory but you know i can't look at a phone number and get to dial it i'll forget it now <laughs> yeah. my short-term memory is just going i'm worried because i've never way. been able to remember mm-hmm. a number from a mm-hmm. paper to the phone yeah what am I going to do now? Well, but Jim, you've—I mean, there could be some reasons behind that. Well, there are you're remembering are, all those those yes. those uh, <gasps> botanical names. Yeah, you know. See, and that's fine. I can remember those real easily. Yeah. But things like your name, well, see, <laughs> my grandkids' names—they're not important. <laughs> you know, those those names aren't important. It's the name of the plant right. that's right. important. You and know. We, <laughs> We were talking about fertilizer, and as we were going off the air last week, you know, we were talking about fertilizers, pretty much fertilizer, just turn the label around. Just the point is do it. But there are some exceptions, okay? You said just turn the label around. The is not going to know that you're feeding it with rose food, That's right. Right, yeah. right. And there's not a significant difference in there. The rose food's not going to lower your pH any usually, so that, right. know, that may be a benefit. Right. But there are some specific ones. In fact, I had to go down to Dan West this week and buy some palm food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they do have some particular needs, particularly phosphorus. And most potting soils don't hold on to phosphorus. You know, you can throw phosphorus in even in your compost pile and first rain, it's going to the bottom. And that's why you see in lawn foods almost none now. Right. Because particularly in sandy soils, it mm-hmm. the phosphorus just goes right through, goes into the Mississippi River and causes the green dieback and all that yeah. in the gut. Yep. So right. It's the phosphorus that's the issue. So you you do need to use some fertilizer specifically for those plants. And palm to me is the one that you want to make sure you're using a palm fertilizer, even in and, a container. And I agree, Jim. But I also think about tropicals and like hibiscus, for example. Right. You mm-hmm. would think that hibiscus would want a high middle number, mm-hmm. a high phosphate number, because it blooms every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. No. It needs like a 17, 16, something like that, a low phosphate, but a high nitrate mm-hmm. number. Yeah. And right. that just kind of blows my mind. But that is a analysis that's going to be really good for that hibiscus. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying you got to have a rose food and you right. got to have a tree food and you got, you know what I'm saying? I know it's, it is hard to explain because like we sell that liquid fox farm and the middle number's not high mm-hmm. and it's called Big Bloom. But it's because of all the other things that it gives to the plant to encourage it to bloom big. But that's a hard explanation because everyone is still stuck on because it's been on the market forever. They're mm-hmm. stuck on seeing that. I mean, 50. Then there used to be a middle number of 50. Oh, yeah. One so Greenlight Super Bloom yeah. was, what, 55. Fertilums was 59%. Yeah, the, the blooming Phosphorus. and rooting, which we still sell tons of it. It's mm-hmm. a, like a 959 Eight fifty nine eight something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So make your sidewalk bloom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But there was a reason for that. Okay, when you give a plant a large dose of phosphorus, it kind of makes it shudder a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it's you know, it's almost like a threatening kind of thing. That's right. And so it thinks that it it's dying and it needs to reproduce. Now it's not going to die, but it can suffer from high doses of phosphorus. Mm-hmm. You can get some yellowing foliage burning around the edges. Um, but it does, it makes it think that, you know, it needs to reproduce, which is its only function in life. And so we can force some things to bloom by giving them high doses of phosphorus. Yeah. Oh, one of the things we do to our poor plants. I know. For our satisfaction. Yes. Yes. No other reason. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how the way of the world. <laughs> Look what we did those poor, never mind. So uh, we were talking, we were also talking about the houseplants and, and the fertilization and all. And what, 
I'm kind of alluding to is say we were talking about you know we know we feed during the growing mm-hmm. season yeah, right 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 but during the winter months you know you've always read don't mm-hmm. necessarily need to feed your housemates yeah. they need to rest I know and that's strange because they don't rest in Florida no you know and my house plants are growing inside mm-hmm. they're in light I fertilize them keep them watered well and they're growing I'm getting long but what I was talking about was we're taking them outside. And the weather's really nice, and they put on some new foliage, a few new leaves possibly. And then we've got to bring them in because the weather's taking a change. Mm. So then you go back into lower light situations, and they possibly could drop those new leaves or drop some other leaves to get back accustomed to the light. And that's one of the major reasons we don't want to fertilize very many plants during the wintertime. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not only the humidity issues and that sort of thing, but... Plants put on a leaf that is adjusted to the amount of light that it's getting. And that cuticle layer, which is they're not cells, it's just a waxy coating on top of the leaf, regulates how much sunlight can get to it. If it's in a very high bright light situation, right. that's very thick. The cuticle and layer is much thicker much on the, thicker. On the leaf. Yeah. And it, if even like on an oak tree, the ones at the top of the tree are much, mm. much thicker than the ones in the inside. That's the reason if you top one in the summertime, it'll burn the yes. foliage right out yeah, of the center yeah. of it. Yeah. So but if you stimulate new growth inside your house, it's going to want to adjust those leaves to your situation. You know, mm-hmm. and we see things like you're talking about dropping. Of course, we, you know, we talked about the ficus weeping fig for years. You know, you can move it from one mm-hmm. side of the, the, the window to right. the other and it just drops starts leaves. dropping right. leaves. And it's just its way of correcting what you mm-hmm. have done to yeah. it. That's so, amazing. So the fact that we just put the plants through going in and out, they need more energy to grow. So definitely you need to fertilize as we're getting warmer well, and to no, give them some nutrients to, to grow out of their losing their leaves, getting their leaves, losing their leaves. So you can starve a plant to death. People, I ask how many times have you fertilized and it's like none. Yeah. But you got to put something in Well, and that's what I'm saying. Even at half strength, you know, because there again, I mean, the old general rule is don't feed your house plants during the winter months because the days are shorter the metabolism is, you know, is, is slower. Of course, uh, when I'm talking about feeding, I'm putting worm castings around it. Exactly. So it's just building this. It's just there when the plant's ready, so I don't have to guess it. Oh, no, and you can yeah. you can never go wrong doing that. You can do that any day. But even plants that need a little helping hand like you're talking about, even I don't care what time of year it is, even in the wintertime, I know a lot of people that would just cut that rate in half. Mm, and yeah. and use it, you know, right. because it needs it, is right. my point. So don't think that you can never, ever feed a houseplant during the winter months. Mm-hmm. If you think you need to, if it needs that helping hand just to kind of push it a little bit, just cut that rate in half. Right. So uh, this year I want to, I'm going to do more introductions of houseplants outside. What do you mean? To use in our shade containers. Oh, I got you. You know, I mean, they grow in shade, just bottom line. And there's so many colors and textures and different structures. And I mean, there's a lot for shade containers, impatience, and coleus. <laughs> oh, yeah. And what Palladiums. else? Terrinia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Palladium's so, one of my favorites. I um, love, love caladiums. Now, would so you? You could, you could use like uh, the yellow lemon lime philodendron to get some uh, yellow trailing over the side of the pot man you know bromeliads are amazing no they are but you wouldn't have to technically plant it in your pot you could set it in the container 
in the pot and switch it out. Now, when you're when you're saying that, Vada, that you can surely introduce some of house plants to outside environments and use them in containers like you would anything else, yeah. you know, would you mix it with yeah. the, with the annuals oh, or just yeah. oh you absolutely, would absolutely okay. absolutely we did like there I can't even say the name of this type of philodendron at the moment, but it has very long, thin, sword like leaves, so just real Amazon looking, beautiful. So we put that in a hanging basket, but then added like the Terinia with it and mm-hmm. um, the Creeping Jenny. So it's, I mean, it's the same. You're just adding some color. Now, do you a, treat them as an annual or do you yeah, dig them up and both. repot them and take them back inside yeah, in the wintertime? Both. Yeah, yeah, both. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it just gives us so many more options. Mm-hmm. Using yeah. houseplants as pot arrangements yeah but not but adding of annuals to it like you said right right i mean we do elephant ears and then add stuff with it alocasias there's some y'all there's some great looking house plants out there that are different so different and they're not that hard to do either but y'all should check that out kind of let's say indoor plants winter indoor plants summer outdoor plants (laughs) Yeah, because a house plant is only a plant that goes in the house in this region of the country. They're growing outside somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all the fun things. We have a pocketbook plant. Oh, I love calcellaria. We've got, is that it? I couldn't say it. Calcellaria. Calcellaria, pocketbook plant. It's one of those plants that's really cool season. It'll, mm-hmm. It's like fuchsias. They'll collapse usually on you in the heat. Yeah. Um, but it's a just spectacular looking flowers. So they do... They do really good indoors for a small for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but we could keep it alive and then put it in a container outside. Yeah, you, you can do that. Just yeah, for it's, some spring color. Yeah, like when your soil temperature starts getting up there, though, they're they're going to struggle. Yeah, I mean they they really are a very cool season plant, That'd be a like short term um, cyclamens and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Calanchos. Yeah. 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 Well, calanchos. Most of those will take some heat. Um, and I've had them in full sun. They yeah. turn uh, red, orange color. Yeah, the, the foliage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, red. I've got one that yeah. has a it has a fuzzy leaf, and the leaves get to be about twelve to fifteen inches long, and it grows. We have one at the botanic gardens that was seven or eight feet tall. It and was, that was a this is a type of calancha. Yeah, wow. Or calancoe oh, or calancoe. Yeah, the, yeah, and this is I mean it's spectacular looking. I got a tiny one it had two little leaves on it and i'm guessing it was a seedling that was in a pot from that big one and i took it and it is now oh, i don't know 15 18 inches tall it's just beautiful so he's see. got his own little botanical yeah. garden i do you know i just love to push the envelope and right. try things that you know see what uh, this thing's all about yeah, and i've had some successes and i've had a failures probably outnumber successes but <laughs> All right, we're heading to a break. <laughs> That's gardening. <laughs> yeah. 901-260-5926. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So give us a call, 901-260-5926. And I forgot to tell y'all, y'all can post questions on Facebook. The Monday 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. And we've all heard of Murphy's Law. If it can happen, it will happen, mm-hmm. right? This sweet lady came into the garden center like everybody else, she's got a house, a plot, and then she's got a fence in the back of her backyard, right? Just a privacy fence back there. And she had some Oakland hollies that were planted strategically uh, strategically back there that kind of blocked things off. And the one that died during that flash freeze yeah. that we had was the one, 
out of all I'm back there, that behind her fence there's a two-story home. Okay? And that two-story home has a window right there where that holly had been blocking it. Uh Okay? And not only a window, she said it's got a light right Uh there that was blocking the light from coming into the back of her yard. And that's the one big holly that died that had to be cut down. And now she showed me a picture, and she can see perfectly well through the gap. There's the house, there's the window, and there's the spotlight. Right. And she's like, why that one? Anything else in this backyard could have died, and I would have been fine. Why that one? So we were were kind of kicking the bushes around, like, what could she put back in there? And I said, well, hey, you can put another Oakland holly in there. Now, you're going to need to get one that's fairly large if you want to do all what you want to do immediately, right? And she's like, well, I really don't want to, you know, buy one that big, and I don't want to, if I could even find one that big, and I don't want to, you know, wait, you know, 15 years for mm-hmm. it to get as big as I need it to be. Right, that's just 15 years of that light and glaring. It, and, it, and it's not really, it, it's a two-story home, but it's, it, it's back a little bit, so it's not, she only needs something that's going to get 10 to 12 foot tall, right? So we were thinking about some different trees or evergreens that would do well in a lower light environment because out of all the hollies that were back there this one doesn't get as much light as the other ones okay it would still grow back there Mm -hmm. we know that but it just wouldn't be as prolific because it just doesn't get the same amount of sun um so you know we talked about dogwoods and she's like well there aren't they're not evergreen i said i get that but through most of the year Mm -hmm. it's going to do its thing but that light I have that experience myself. (laughs) That light is just blinding me. I can't get anything to block it, no matter what. Well, you know, the one thing that we decided that we landed Mm -hmm. on was a forest pansy redbud. I mean, Mm -hmm. out of everything that we talked about, whether it's cedars, whether it's hollies, whether it's cherry laurels, on and on and on, dogwoods. Mm-hmm. You know, we started talking about the red buds, and she's like, oh, yeah, what's that one that's got that, you know, kind of reddish purple yeah. foliage? And I said, that's like forest pansy red bud. And she absolutely loves them. Yeah. And we know that they're great understory trees. I mean, they'll grow in that perfect for that environment. Uh, now, they're not a fast-growing tree by any means as compared to like a pine tree. Right. But, uh, and that's what she's going to wind up putting back there. What's she going to do in the winter with the light? Well, she's like, you know, in the wintertime, they draw their shades and everything uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. And at least she's got something to right. plug that hole. Because now when I go outside on my patio, now I have to deal with that light starting at 5 p.m. Yeah. when it gets dark. Much longer. It's like daylight out there. I'm just insane. So, uh I'm going to put a bunch of containers with tall plants in them right in those sections. Oh, yeah. next weekend that'll change. Yeah. Daylight so that'll be a less of... Oh, a really? Less. Now, remember mm-hmm. last year we thought it was over. Well, and, and, and I did out. a little research back a, a few days ago to find mm-hmm. out when it was. The Senate did sign the bill in December of 22. Uh, it went to the House of Representatives, mm-hmm. and it's been on hold there, so it's never reached the president's desk. There are several states that have wanted to go ahead and take it, adopt it full time. Right. But there is a federal law that prevents it. What? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, right now it's just in limbo. So right now we're still uh, stuck with going off and on. You know, and what they want to do is keep it on all the time. Now, I agree with that. I would yeah. prefer that because I'm telling you guys, it takes me, it takes me at least a week to adjust to it mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know what it is about my crazy of body all but the things yeah. for us to 
to have to deal with of all the things in the world that needs to happen and they're just like oh, dragging their feet on changing the time no one we're doing that's just crazy just do it just do it i think it would help ev- wouldn't it help everybody emotionally yeah I'm like, well, <laughs> we'll just move it back 30 minutes and call it even yeah we'll do that <laughs> meet you in the middle <laughs> yeah something Isn't that the god dang truth oh well so what so what do y'all think i mean forest pansy Put it back oh, there and, and just plug that hole and, yeah. and just to enjoy it and know that in the wintertime, you know, the leaves are going to mm-hmm. fall off and she knows that. But at least you've got something There's back there. There's so many options like Chase Vitex. Mm-hmm. Well, nope, I like nope, that. nope. We talked about the Vitex that's going in her front yard. <laughs> okay. I mean, in you fact, we even, she even same, showed me a right? picture of her front yard and I got a pen and I went right there. Yeah. Um, but so, so no, she's, bad. she's, and a friend gave her the Vitex and she's mm-hmm. never planted one before. And we talked about I the Vitex it. and everything. It looks like a big butterfly bush. Yeah. But she's got a place for one of those in the front yard. She's going to love I'm that. I'm thinking a 24-hole Martin house. Just place blocks oh, away. There you go. <laughs> yeah. See, you could do that, too. Which I don't see a lot of those anymore, Jim. Unless you right. go to the golf uh, courses or maybe mm-hmm. some of the parks, you know? I wonder why. I mean, you know, People okay. are finally learning that they're actually, Martins don't eat many mosquitoes. But they're still nice they're be- birds. Love to see them fly. Yeah. yeah. Come yeah. in full speed right into that house. <laughs> Bop. You yep. know, just it's so cool. It's crazy how they can do that. <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking, well, I know that we used to think they ate tons and tons of mosquitoes, and it's amazing well, how they do many eat, people... They do eat mosquitoes, but it's not the sheer number yeah, that they were touting. Yes. <clears throat> they eat more uh, moths and um, dragonflies, and, and dragonflies are our, our best friends yeah. towards mosquitoes because yeah. they're predatory in both the larval and the adult stage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's so many. <laughs> we just try to control nature, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> well... I still want to see the birds, and the birds have been gorgeous this year. The red birds just look so big and fluffy and fat and really, really red. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. I don't see those the variety of birds that it seems like I used to. I mean, I'll see some sparrows, and uh, I do have some bluebirds, thank God, yeah. because I got the bluebird house in the backyard. But I don't see, you know, the cardinals and the blue jays mm-hmm. and the robins and those kind of birds. It just seems like... like like I used to. I don't know if it's just me. Or well, I'm not I know. sure. You know, like, okay, I have that um, app, Mar- Marlin, Marilyn, Marlin, Marlin. Yeah, that to identify birds. And um, for some reason, I was up at 4 a.m. the other day. So I took, because the birds were all just singing, singing like crazy. Even this morning, I thought about you, Betty, because yeah. you made a comment last weekend about when you got up, walked outside, you could hear the birds chirping everywhere. Mm-hmm. They love these warm, you know, nice yeah. mornings. They know spring's on the way, too. And I heard the same thing this Did morning. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I had wondered, well, so the only thing, it was a mockingbird, of course. A mockingbird just going on and on and on. You know that. And... um what were the other ones? Oh, a red bird mm-hmm. and a thrasher. The thrasher you'd barely hear, but it was so. Um, so then I was like, "Why? Why are birds up at four in the morning? It, it's kind of a repetitive thing." Hear them on Saturday. Well, the research was showing that it was making the st- the birds singing early in the morning is what makes or triggers stomatas on plants to start opening. <laughs> and I haven't researched any more of that, but I read that and thought. Okay. Well, I hey, gotta, I gotta figure this one out. Because, you gotta get me, get back to me on that one. Yeah, get back to us on. I'll, I'm gonna look that up some more. But just a real quick thing, you know, when you just ask, "Why do birds sing at four in the morning?" <laughs> and it says 
So the stomatas know to open on plants? I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think so. But, but I'm not going to say know, no because I have no idea, I know, really. research and all. I mean, now plants sing. We're putting little tools mm-hmm. on them and having them sing and hear the vibrations and turning it into music. So why can't a bird's twiddling in the morning make the plants wake up? Well, during bad weather, you don't normally hear birds singing in the morning. And even through the winter, you really don't don't hear that. So So it could be select plants. I don't know. I don't know. It could be only in Australia with a certain bird and a certain plant. uh, (laughs) We're very lucky in in the Mid-South Garden Group to have two wonderful photographers. Mm, One, Mark Salzman up in Kentucky, who does a lot of particularly owls. Raptors, uh, waterfowl, things like that. Plus, we have uh, Kurt Hart, who has published a number of books of bird pictures. Kurt Hart, Kurt yeah. Hart, and yes, he, he he posts a picture every single day of some uh, songbird. It's just incredible. Yeah, of Tennessee. Both yep, awesome and, and just artists. spectacular, spectacular photographs. Yeah. So that's something to mention about the garden page. Not only are we doing the gardening, but there's some talented photographers. Yeah. But when we get back, Veda, from the break, we're going to talk about some of these beautiful, blooming, deciduous hollies, and also about, I've got a different take on daylilies now. Good morning, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda from Palladio. Yes, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers, and to my left, my good friend, you got to tell who it is. Yeah, he does a better introduction to me than I do. So. Who is it? Mr. Jill. Yeah, that's Jim Crowder. <laughs> Just always tickled to be here. At my age, tickled to be here in the, the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> he cracks me up. If you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. You can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. And before you know, we went out on the break, uh, the last break, I was talking about daylilies and to me forever until i guess this moment in my life i've always just envisioned daylilies for the most part in a pot in at the garden center that we sell okay mm-hmm. are the old ditch lilies yeah and yeah i mean they're hardy i know that they're you know tough as everything and now there's a lot of rebloomers out there but i've never really given daylilies a, a much mm-hmm. thought and there was a customer that bought one in particular last year called Band of Fire. She called me the other day and she wanted some more. And I said, you know, what's so special about this daylily? And sure enough, so I, I looked it up mm-hmm. and I was looking at the, at the images. Uh, and I'm telling you, the bloom, I was like, okay, I get it now. And then Jim was showing me some while ago, uh, some of these repeat bloomers. They didn't, you were too. They're absolutely great-looking blooms. And I'm like, why have I not really thought about daylilies as a whole, especially the re-blooming varieties, than I have before? Yeah, because, you know, when I mention daylilies, so many uh, people go, oh, no. And then I say, no, you've got to see these double-blooming ones. The foliage is good. And I took so many pictures. Like the Titan varieties of daylilies have really big blooms. Roughly, and then Jim's favorite, French lingerie, <laughs> and that is a beautiful it bloom. Is. You showed me that thing yeah. a while ago too. But I'm just telling you how I was going into the dentist office the other day. I told you this, and in the front bed there was just mass of beautiful green foliage coming up, and those were all daylilies. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I was just thinking, even not blooming, the this bed looks great. It looks beautiful. Yeah. 
So I think I'm changing. Uh, it's just not that I've been against them ever. Mm-hmm. It's just that I've never really thought about them. They, and they can they are good for soil erosion. They can take more moisture. They don't mind that. They can even go in the drought. So they've got a they can they can bloom fairly well in a good amount of shade. Well, and the we've more all, sun, the more color the bloom has. Yes, and yeah. you know when they first came out, you know there was uh, Stella Diora, mm-hmm. which was that gold, gold-looking yeah. uh, rebloomer. Then there was Black-eyed Stella, yeah, and which was goldy so with the you know the purplish kind of uh-huh. throat, if you will. It was um, a purple Stella. And purple yeah. stuff where there's so many. Then happy yeah. returns. Happy returns. Beautiful yellow. And yeah. you were right. It's not gold. It's yellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this one in particular called Band of Fire. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a bi-colored, big mm-hmm. bloom. And the thing has five to six inch blooms right. on it. Yeah, they've come a long way. The original daylily had 11 chromosomes in it, which was, you know, which <laughs> is like the ditch lily. And then there was the diploid that had two where they got a set of chromosomes from mama and a set of chromosomes. He just called from you a dip- diploid. Yeah, he right. did. <laughs> so that's what, we, yeah, that's what we are. Uh, so anyway, but now most of these big ones are tetraploid. They have 44 chromosomes. The flowers are much larger. They're stiffer. They're just spectacular yeah. flowers. And there's so many of these now that are just, just gorgeous. Are they yeah. hybridized? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, heavily hybridized now because, mm-hmm. I mean, daylilies are like hostas. Every year yeah. there's, you know, 100 new varieties. Yes. Um, wow. One of our members that lives out in Somerville has another 250-plus, uh, you know, named varieties and probably that many more that are unnamed. Uh, and I just look forward to his postings every year because just spectacular flowers. And, it's when, just, yeah. and one thing that you need to do if you do or, and are going to grow daylilies, uh, you know, more sun than shade, of course. And I don't care what variety you get because I'm telling you, there are some varieties that are drop dead great looking when they're in bloom. But you do need to deadhead because if you let them just do their thing, they're going to bloom their heads off. The blooms are going to fall off. And then the next thing you know, you're going to start getting a lot of these seed heads up there. Mm-hmm. And that's like Jim said, all they want to do is reproduce. Yeah. But if you get in there and deadhead them, now it's it's funny. If you if you ever look at a video on how to deadhead a daylily, believe it or not, you can pull the bloom off, but you also got to get what they call the ovary off, yeah. which is that little knob that the bloom mm-hmm. is kind of surrounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you pinch that whole thing off of there. And if you do that, you're not going to get those seed heads, and you're going to continue to get these beautiful big blooms. You'll get some anyway if you yeah. don't. But the longer you can keep those things deadheaded and keep those seed heads from forming, mm-hmm. the better off you're going to mm-hmm. be if you want to see bloom. Now, I'm wondering, because you can <laughs> eat uh, daylily flowers. You can fry them, eat them. They're delicious. But that was like the old daylilies. I'm wondering if these, I don't know if these nice, beautiful, hybridized daylilies would taste as good. Well, I don't, we'll wait on you to try that yeah. and let me know, okay? <laughs> but man, fried daylily blooms are so delicious. It's amazing. Well, anything fried, I guess you can fry a cricket and it probably tastes good. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to eat the daylily bloom either. Oh, I can't believe it. I learned how to do that in Italy. The, the neighbors behind us um, showed me how to do it. There's just not much substance there. Yeah, it Thank was just you, another vegetable as a side or, you know, or like a light snack. It's like yeah. eating Rice Krispies. You burn more energy eating them than you can yeah. possibly get out of them. <laughs> and celery, too. It's a negative calorie uh, celery. You is. know, I'm not going to eat nasturtiums. I'm not going to eat daylilies. I'm Aww. not going to eat any of that crickets or any of that stuff. Now, one thing that I did eat, I told you all this last year, and I, and I would never would have done it on my own, okay? Not I was more, more or less kind of forced into it, is pigweed. 
Okay, and mm-hmm. if you drive through the the country roads of Arkansas, you can find as much pigweed as you'd ever want to find. And a good friend of mine that lives over there, Bland Britton in Marion, Arkansas, great guy. He brought me a a, a bowl of cooked down pigweed. You know, you cook it down like you would greens. And I'm thinking, golly, he's nice enough to do this. You know, I gotta, I've got to at least eat some in front of him. Because he stood right there watching me, you know, looking at me like, are you going to eat some of this? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to eat some. Y'all, it tasted just like turnip greens. It was the mm-hmm. best thing in the world. So I'm not going to say I never would eat. I shouldn't say that yeah. beta a daylily bloom because there's a weed out there called pigweed that's absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful. Well, it's funny how our minds get set on something, how you grow up with stuff, because greens look like a pigweed to me. But they're delicious. <laughs> I have Spinach, to agree. Like, you know, it's like a big weed, but they're but, good. But for everybody out there, daylilies, I'm telling you, something that maybe you never thought of. And if you're looking for something, a tough perennial, and especially as a tough, to me, kind of like a filler perennial, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or even a border, if you will. Right. Uh, man, I'm telling you, it's something to look at. Well, a lady had wanted something very small and clumping that could take a little bit more moisture than normal. Um around her pathways not intermingled in the pathways but just kind of spaced throughout and i'm going well there's lakothi but that's way too big and so this was on the side of a pathway yeah yeah she wanted not to go in like steppers like uh low ground covers but just kind of not bordering the pathway but sprinkled throughout but you couldn't have anything big because then you're squeezing in your pathway with something big right so it couldn't you know lakothi is small you can get the small one and all but it's still just kind of big henry garnet you know we're looking for something yeah we're looking for something kind of native and take moist conditions and finally i said i was like does it have to be evergreen and she was thinking well no because you know winter doesn't have to be we're gonna go with the day lily Mm -hmm. but that would have not been something that i'd recommended years ago but Last year and the year before last, getting all these reblooming daylilies in and seeing just the magnificent, huge blooms on them, I'm like, you got to do daylilies. And they're tough. Mm-hmm. And then there was a there was a commercial property that I knew of, and they had a uh, I think it was a gas station on it, and they had their um, you know their parking lot, and then there was a little gap of about twelve inches before the next commercial property started. Yeah, 12 so inches. So 12 inches. Yeah, there was a 12-inch uh, gap that wasn't paved or anything. It was like uh, almost like a trench. Oh, so it's your, your little place to grow weeds. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. And the gentleman asked me, I was in there one day, and he said, Kenny, what do you think I ought to put in that little trench over yeah. there? Uh, there's nothing but weeds coming up, like mm-hmm. you said. And I don't know why it was never, you know, concreted in. <laughs> and I said, you know, the only one thing that I can really think of that's tough enough to make it over there, uh-huh. put some daylilies yeah. in there. And they're still there. And I bet that looks gorgeous. Yeah, it looks a lot blooming. better than a bunch of weeds yeah. coming up. Yeah. Well, that's a good idea. I like it. All right, we're going to head to a break. And we'll be back for more gardening information, topics. You can call us 901 260 <laughs> We're on. We're on the air. And these two over here just piddling around. <laughs> Don't say them two. That one over there to my right. Uh, I was just showing you how I bounded up the stairs. <sighs> Good morning, guys. If you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can always shoot a text on the Mighty 990, Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. 
And another thing, y'all, that I've just got to bring up, if I may, is the deciduous magnolias. You know, I know we were talking about a while ago how our springs can be so up and down, especially early spring. We might get a heavy frost. We might not. But so far, everything is in succession blooming like it should. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, but some of the, uh, you know, mag- when I think of magnolia, of course, the first thing I think of is the beautiful southern, you know, evergreen magnolia or little Jim, you know, some of those. Uh, but there are some beautiful deciduous magnolias out there, meaning they drop their leaves and they bloom this mm-hmm. time of year and they flush back out later on. Well, the, the two that are in full bloom, in my opinion, right now, that are absolutely drop dead, great looking, one is the Royal Star Magnolia. Mm-hmm. It has that white bloom and it's beautiful, I'm telling you. The other one is these uh, saucer magnolia, the Magnolia Slangiana. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Much bigger specimen, has kind of that mauve purple looking bloom. Uh, really good looking. Now, there are some other ones, especially, uh, let's say, like Jane, Magnolia Jane mm-hmm. and Magnolia Ann. And yeah, Susan. I like There's Jane. a whole series of those Jane, that are yeah. beautiful. And, and, and the beauty of those in, in some years is they do bloom a little later than the ones that you see out there blooming mm-hmm. now. And the reason I kind of like that idea is we all know that we can get a heavy frost tonight and tear up the ones that bloom early in the year, okay? Usually that happens. This year, not so much, like we said. But the Jane, uh, you know, the the Ann and Susan and those type of uh, deciduous magnolias, like I said, they do bloom later. So you usually don't have to worry about a frost knocking those blooms off like the early bloomers yeah and there are more contained specimen too uh some of them tend to be single trunks some of them tend to be multiple trunks but they don't get as for the most part don't get as large as like slangiana which can get you know 30 feet tall and equally as wide well you're right i mean magnolia Ann's going to get about 15 foot tall um you know, ten to fifteen foot tall, ten to fifteen foot wide. Not, not like you said, Jim. Not near as big as that big saucer magnolia that you see out there now. Now they're all beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But if I was going to plant some in my landscape, I don't think I'd need one that big. Right. I would need like mm-hmm. the Ann or the Jane mm-hmm. or some of the, even the Star Magnolia. Well, this one that I'm getting in Sensation, the, a yellow magnolia. It's more. I've read about it's it. It's more <clears throat> upright and not as wide, like eight feet wide, but it's tall. It could get up to fifteen feet, but it's supposed to be better for smaller lots because mm-hmm. it's more, more upright. Yeah, but it's got this pretty yellow bloom on it. I'm really looking forward to getting it. You know, you look on Monrovia's website now, and of course it says we're zone eight. And then I see that zone eight just out there, and I'm like thinking all the people that are researching plants. And they're seeing zone eight, zone eight, and they're totally going. Or maybe this is from zone eight to ten, and they're going to get those, and that's really a catastrophe. Yes, it is because you know there's even some zone seven plants that get nuked around here because of our weather. What was the name of the yellow blooming one you said? Sensation. Yeah, we had butterflies. I think is was the name of one for years, and it was a pale yellow. Yeah. So. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I think we need to plant more of these. I see them, but not as many as you think you would well, because they're fantastic. And that's, that's the reason I brought it up. Is mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those, there again, one of these deciduous ornamental tree, shrub, mm-hmm. however you want to call it, more tree form. And like Jim said, there's some that are more single stalked and some that are multi stalked. And you can tree form them. You can tree form them just like you would a crate myrtle Gosh, if you, you want to. you know what, though? That just made me think. If somebody ever asked me for 
a tree that blooms. I don't think I go to any of the deciduous magnolias, come to think of it. No. I Maybe mean, that's why we don't have a Because lot. the only time I'm ever thinking of them is this time right, of year while they're in right. bloom. Yeah. Other than that, now, during the growing season, you know, they're kind of indescript. I mean, they're still a beautiful specimen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that don't bloom yeah. year-round, right? But when they're in bloom, guys, I'm telling you, they're they're really good-looking plants, mm-hmm. and they're tough as everything. Yeah, I love them. I don't know of any Jim any drawbacks to them. Do you? I mean, no, no. Some of them will will tend to root sprout, uh, which yeah. can be an issue if you're getting like cyanogen. Or one of my favorites is one called nigra, which is extremely dark purple flowers. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty bad about root sprouting, so that's that's about the only issue that yeah. I've ever seen. Now, like their cousins, the the, the evergreen ones, they tend to be fairly shallow rooted. That's right. Uh, so you know, it, if you you want to make sure that you're not planting it somewhere where it's going to interfere with a driveway or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Gotcha. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was mentioning uh, Monrovia that I'm getting the sensation <clears throat> from. <laughs> But, like, everybody's has at least one Monrovia plant in their yard, I think. Monrovia is such a uh, – they're a really good company. Big they, grower. Yeah, they use great soil, which then makes their plants much more hardy and robust in the container. But they're, they're a little more expensive, but the look is just – and the health of the plant is incredible. And you can plant some of the Monrovia plants along with uh, some of the C-grade or B-grade growers – and, and you can see the difference. Yeah, and you, over long term, you can see the difference. And, and then what's really cool is Monrovia is making their soil mix. Yeah, and they've had, you know, started years ago with, I think at that time, there were like 13 different mixes that they used for different plants, uh, which was, you know, just not heard of in the industry. Everybody, right. yeah, everybody yeah. used the same bag and right. everything right. in right. it. So, um, now yeah. there's 44 mixes. Is there? Okay. Yes. You know, and, so, they, and they were adding specific... Uh, microbes to them Mm -hmm. to get maximum growth out of them i mean there's a lot of science behind what they're doing and one of the things i like about monrovia is they they grow because they have four locations four growing locations they have things for everywhere across the country and they have such a wide range of unusual plants yeah that's one of the things about being in the nursery business is you know my favorite time was being on a truck unloading seeing this new stuff come in (laughs) and being able to order these things but one of the things is, you know, you, you, when you're looking at nursery business, 90% of your sales are in about 10% of your items. Yeah. yeah. So you can't, true. you can't yeah. afford to top a lot of dollars in really unusual stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's that, it's sad, but mm-hmm. that's uh, unfortunate right. nature of the business. You go through and think, oh, I need that. Oh, I want that too. Yeah. Gosh, can I get just two of those? Right. <laughs> and like, so, right. Well, like for, for like where we are in Palladio, we're not... We're carrying all different stuff. Right. It's hard for us to sell a. Um, Where would you put Yopon 50 Holly? Yeah, yeah, 50 Yopon Holly. In yeah. the Midtown area. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and I love uh, Yopon Plus, a Yopon Holly, I, I would not actually order from Monrovia because that's such a hardy plant. Exactly. That you can, you can get them. Uh, Any for a grower, better, yes. yeah, better price. But like the the really bodacious things, or the things that you prize, or the things that like camellias and yeah. um, swarthias and some different of, kinds some of, of the peonies deciduous and, magnolias. We yeah, talked about, yeah, all that. So uh, 
But there, I mean, y'all, there's great companies. There's Greenleaf mm-hmm. and Flowerwood. Yeah, and Brace, and, uh, Bracey's. Yeah, yeah Bracey's. Yeah, Bracey's is... Uh, they're, they're all those are nice, right. big growers. And y'all they, would not believe growers. When If you would go visit growers, it's just... <clears throat> the setup is amazing. But, but Judy Wood texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. Mm-hmm. And Judy, I uh, appreciate that, babe. Good morning to you. She said, if I can get back to it, she said, Good morning, Looking for recommendations for planting a silky dogwood tree, bare root from tree giveaway. Um, oh, is that today? I think there is how a How much tree. sun? How much shade? How big will it get? Thanks. And that's a silky dogwood tree, this bare root. And mm-hmm. what's a silky dogwood? Silky dogwood has a kind of um, a flower similar to um, uh, Grancy Graybeard. Uh, yes, this, this is a dogwood. Yeah, it is a dogwood. You want to grow it just like you would the flowering dogwood. Uh, planet uh, very shallow, good drainage. That's key thing. The most, yeah. M- mostly shade, protected from the hottest afternoon sun. Now, if it gets a few hours of direct sun, it will bloom better for you, like most dogwoods will. Yeah, but it's but a, protected it's a great, from the hottest part of yeah. the afternoon. And it's, I think it's native to this area too. Well, so, so she's getting a oh really? Yeah, she's getting a bare root. I bet. Yeah, like that's a what little, it said. Right. Yeah, a bare a bare root uh, giveaway. How, so how big do you make the hole for a bear? I mean, that's just one thin little. Well, you still you dig that hole twice as big as the root ball. <laughs> yeah, I'd go a little bigger than that, uh, and that's one of the issues. A lot of these things are grown in tree pots, which are they grow the roots very, very deep. But in nature, that's not the way they right, grow. Right? Okay, they grow out sideways. When mm-hmm. that seed germinates, you get you know one thing going straight up, but the roots grow mm-hmm. out in our hard clay. Absolutely. So you want to make sure that you kind of. If you can bend that root, not break it, but mm-hmm. bend it up so that it's moving up towards the surface. Um, and if you can't, don't do that because yeah. you don't want to break it. Right. But good drainage, uh, like any other dogwood, like Jim said, morning sun is fine, uh, filtered sun, high shade, yeah. dappled sun, uh, but protect then, it from the hottest part right. of the afternoon. And when we say good drainage, you still have to incorporate some of that, a little bit of that clay back in. Oh, yes. you're not replacing yes. your soil. Yeah, you still it. need that. Okay, y'all, we've got another hour to go. So wake up, get your gardening questions, and give us a call. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your host, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome back, Mid-South Gardeners. We're in the third hour of gardening with you. Hope you've been enjoying it. I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Where's that again? Palladio in Memphis. Right or is on... it Palladio? Uh, I see, that's what both. I say. Pal- I say Palladio. Palladio. Uh, Palladio. Kenneth with Dam West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseryman. With Heck lots of, nice of knowledge. Guy. Heck of a nice guy. Well, You're see, not you kidding. Have, you have worked with me at Stringers. You've worked with Kenneth at Dan West. Yeah, I've had a heck of a time. Wish he was still job. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you're doing different projects, the and, different ones. So. And now he's got this Facebook page, Mid South Gardening yeah. Zone 67567. Six, right? seven, and eight. Six, seven, and eight. I never can get that Where right. But it you? is, it, the, that page is unbelievable. And if you was just to spend every day just scanning through it, yeah, really, if you did it every day, just I don't, I, 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you will learn so much because what I like to do is not make the same mistakes that other people make. That's right. You know, honestly. I really, I mean, why yeah, would you? Right. And because you usually end up in failure, you know, for whatever reason. Well, 
all these pictures and all these questions that get submitted on that Facebook page, and people, real gardeners, are telling you the answer of, hey, you should have done this. Or, you they've done had ex- success. Yeah. Exactly. That's, what, that's what's been the really great thing about about our group is you know so, so many experienced gardeners on there that right. are willing to share their information. Yes, sir. You know, and because and, there are some gardeners out there that just don't. You know, many years ago... Um, um, I got a call who the uh, from our garden writer. Anyway, they were looking for somebody that was an expert on tomatoes. So there was a guy at our church who was, you know, grew a lot of tomatoes, like a hundred plants or so. Wow, yeah. So uh, you know, I gave him her num- his number, and uh, and and he didn't want to give up any he information. Give up any information? Yeah. Well, so he said, "I'm not telling you my secrets on how to, how to grow tomatoes." <laughs> you know, you know, I think out of the one plant that no one would give up secrets, it would that be on would, tomatoes. Yeah. Right. Well, you didn't mention. <laughs> But I get you, Jim. Why? I mean, why not share the information, right. spread the knowledge? I mean, yeah. let everybody be successful. You hope they're going to be as, as successful as you know as you are growing anything, right? Uh, so I, I agree with you. you well, know, if they're uh, as successful as I am, they're going to get real disappointed yeah. in gardening. <laughs> so we mentioned uh, twice. You mentioned Murphy's, Murphy's Law. It's like that one. You know, if you're going to do it, it's going to mess up. So and I've wondered. You know, who is Murphy? And why? Why is the law? <laughs> You're right. But um, so he was an American aerospace engineer, and they were testing a rocket sled, and it didn't work properly. Right. And so his quote was, if, if there are two or more ways to do something, and one of those results in a catastrophe, yeah. then someone will do it that way. <laughs> no doubt about <laughs> it. <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> Mr. Paul, let's go to Mr. Paul. Good morning. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning, Vader, uh, Kenneth, and Jim. Hey, good morning to you, Mr. Paul. And I'm telling you, when, on a Saturday morning, when I hear your voice, all is well, I promise you. And it lets us know our phones are still working. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. I was waiting until somebody else called in and see what the conversation was going to be like. I guess most people most people listen on the podcast now, so they do. But also, Mister Paul, this time of year we're kind of in that no man's land. You know, we're getting through the winter and we're not quite into the spring, and we're kind of in that slow gap time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. But I mean, the sap is rising. Yes. In fact, having said that, Mister Paul, and I'm I'm sure you've seen these things. You know, these wonderful new er white-blooming hydrangeas like the lime lights and the little limes and all those, I, I keep yeah. saying I'm going to cut mine back, and I still haven't done it. And these things are just now starting to flush out a little bit. So if I'm going to get mine cut back, I've got to do it today, unless you got a little free time on your hands. No, and the I odds of that are like 27 to 1 of that <laughs> happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for my voodoo doll. <laughs> To see if they can put it on the, the that uh, exercise machine. on the treadmill, Mister <laughs> <Yes>. Paul. <laughs> right. I posted. I posted that. Somebody take my. If I'm a what was it? If you can't do it yourself, get your voodoo doll out there, throw it on the tread yeah. machine, cut it on. I was like, oh, would somebody put my voodoo doll on the tread machine for me? Yes. Treadmill, since right. I'm not doing it. Anything. Well, I, that, the reason I mentioned that is I've been trying to do some trimming in my little memory garden area that we're kind of doing for a K. Yeah. And 
uh, I got down on my knees and I thought this would be the best way for me to do this. And then I couldn't get back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I decided that I had to start therapy. So I went to my mm-hmm. first physical therapy yesterday. Way to go. And that I'll, is great. Yep. I'll be in that for about four or five weeks probably. But I've got to get a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit more liberal because yeah. I, and then bending over is okay, but Red gets scared that I'm going to fall on my head. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm going to tip <laughs> over. Well, but the good thing is, you know, the, the good thing, Mr. Paul, is you still have that mindset. And whether, oh, yeah. you know, you can, and you'll figure out what you can and can't do, right? I, I'll do it. But the mindset is where, you know, and you're never going to probably lose that, honestly. No, I got a little bathroom stool that I'm going to sit out there and sit on it, and then I don't have as far to bend or fall. Right, right. That way, because, you know, if I go off it, it won't be a part of the dirt. Yeah, you can kind of roll. <laughs> just, yeah, just keep rolling. I think that's right. great you're going to physical therapy because it only will help, and all yeah. of a sudden you're going to be out there just digging. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, it, there's so much to do this and like y'all have been talking about and y'all sometimes give us too many ideas of what we need to be doing and i know that's your job but the thing is if i can focus on one thing at a time <laughs> yeah. and get it halfway done i think i've done a good day's yeah. work exactly i know what you mean there well the next thing we're going to talk about mr paul something else that you can do we're going to talk about japanese maples so you make sure you stay tuned in buddy well i'm in the market for one i've got to i'm waiting on spring fling mm-hmm. because i believe there's some people that sell them that's going to be there and i've got to get Kay a little japanese maple to mm-hmm. go out there and her she's got several mm-hmm. but they're back in the other part of the garden and i want one out there for to go in her little garden so uh i'm i'm in the market for one so i'm going to be looking for that and i'll i'll enjoy listening to y'all talk about them well like i said mr paul to me it's not a saturday morning until i hear your voice and i'm telling you i mean that with all my heart and we love talking to you and we appreciate you calling in buddy well i, I appreciate that and y'all do a great job and don't forget the heart meeting is next tuesday night tuesday right. night I mean, this coming tuesday you got it Okay, thank you. Thank guys. you. Thank, thank you. you, Paul. And that's the Hort meeting at the mm-hmm. Memphis Botanic Gardens. And it should be at 7 p.m. Yeah, like but you can get there early. Used to, you could get there early to graze, as Mr. Yeah. Paul was said. I don't know if they still do that anymore, right. but you can sure find out. But that's the Hort meeting this coming Tuesday at the Memphis mm-hmm. Botanic Gardens. Well, you know, they're finding, I mean, we know this already, but they're finding how gardening is good for you and helps you live longer and. And Unless I mean, you fall on your head like Mr. Paul right. was talking about. It's just think, though. The garden is the reason why he's about to go do some therapy to get stronger, to uh, continue in the garden. I see where you're going with yeah, that. Yeah, so if you don't have that garden to nudge you just a little bit, then maybe you're just going to sit there and not. Uh. So he's... I mean, that's me, too. I started doing different types of exercises just cause, so I could... Stay on that ladder longer. Yeah, you know, I got and you. not feel like I'm going to fall off. We can always get better. And gardening is, you know, in the blue zone places now. That's what they're calling where the healthiest people live is the blue zones. And and one of us, the people that have to work hard, live longer. You know, 
instead of getting to drive to work. But why do they call it the walk. blue zone? I don't know. We got to find It seems like I had read that and don't even remember. So it must have not really had a good explanation. But I didn't know. It's funny that you said something about Murphy's Law a while ago. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've always heard of Murphy's Law. If yeah. it can go wrong, it will go wrong. But I didn't never know where it came from. Right, right. I was wondering that too. That's Just a side note here too. The Horticulture Society meeting is Tuesday at 6 p.m. Oh. Uh, their speaker this week is John. Uh, this month is John Mannion. He has been with a number of bot- <coughs> botanic gardens and was with Birmingham Botanical Garden in charge of their wildflower garden. Mm. Uh, but he's going to be speaking on underused yet wonderful plants. Mm. So uh, Underused but wonderful plants. Which kind of like the daily list we were talking yeah. about a while mm-hmm. ago. All yeah. right, we're going to go to a break and we'll talk about the red maples, Japanese maples. And we'll have to get the, the young lady or the gentleman that's calling you on the phone right now also. How do you know that's a man? I said our... Or young okay, lady. I'll say that's just a regular generic emoji. <laughs> I see nothing that into <laughs> <Me> either. <laughs> All right. After this, you'll find the mystery. We'll Boop. be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Japanese maples. We all love Japanese maples. you got to have one. Yeah. But first, we're going to go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. And like I was telling Mr. Paul a while ago, we love hearing his voice Saturday mornings. We love hearing yours, too, buddy. Well, look, if we had, if we had a parade, uh, Mr. Paul would be the grand marshal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he would. And I think you'd be right up there on the same float, I promise you. Well, look, I told it, I promised I'd call you to let you know about the the uh, Memphis Air Master Gardener Presents. And we had uh, 220 plus in a two room with wow. 200 people. So that is a that is a great, that was, yeah. That was the only problem we had during the whole thing. So it worked pretty well. And we're working on trying to get the amphitheater next year at the, at the, uh, Agri-Center, so. I love that. Yeah, you need more chairs, yeah. no doubt about it. And then the next big thing coming up is going to be spring fling, correct? Oh, absolutely. And we'll have somebody there the 16th, I think. Jenny's and I are going to come down and, and clue you in on what I, what I was going to be there and all mm-hmm. the other stuff. So, anyway, we're looking forward to it. Well, I tell you what, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, that is a really great program for people that just there, again, want to access a lot of the knowledge uh, that they give out. And then the volunteer work, of course, that goes on after, you know, you go through the course, which I think is the best thing ever. But these things that y'all are doing, Jamie, like you just said, the first one y'all did was Memphis Area Master Gardeners Presents. And the only problem you had is you didn't have enough chairs for all the people that showed up. That's a pretty good deal. That's a good problem. That's true. But the speakers were absolutely great. And Jim Jim Crowder would be envious. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he would. (laughs) And that makes all the difference also, is getting good speakers in there. It's kind of like Mr. Paul said a while ago. Also, Jamie, with the Horde Society, one thing that they've always done is had really good speakers. And that's when Uh people show up, you know? Yeah. Of course, everybody wants to get out. And, boy, I don't know. I'd like to have a recount on Fox of Toddy Field, the the groundhog or whatever (laughs) up in Pennsylvania. Man, he missed us real bad. We get... uh, Two out of three of that, you guess? I don't. I never put stock in a groundhog. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's just like a weatherman. Uh-huh. Half, half the time right, half the time yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, fifty degrees just won't get it. No, you, you can't plan anything. You, you just 
it's not comfortable enough to mm. get outside and work. So uh, that's anyway, what... good Lord has plans for us, so we're all right. That's all right. right, Jamie. All right, buddy. Well, listen, you have a great weekend. You do everything in the world that your wife asked you to do these mm. next two days, <laughs> and you'll be just fine. Okay. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Jamie. Thanks, Bye-bye. Jamie. Thanks for the call. Well, there's Great a high job. pollen alert today. Well, you know, we were ju- we're just now in March. Oh yeah. So. I mean, wait till those oak trees start tasseling uh-huh. out. Whenever. Oh yeah. But the weather was so nice that it seems like we should be later in the season. So, Jim, I see how you strategically placed yourself. I- I'm looking at the TV screen right now, and you cannot see me. Oh, uh, every once in a while, there's a hand mm-hmm. and a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, we can. See Scoot around. Yeah, we need to get you over here. <laughs> I um, just noticed. Okay, so Jeff, I was what reading. There you <laughs> go. That's all we get to see a gym. I was reading some stuff last night, and it kind of. I was I was almost confused. Okay, and what I mean by that, I was reading about Japanese maples. I love them. Absolutely beautiful. But they were also had just this separate segment that said Japanese maples that, you know, these varieties are great for full sun. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't know if you've ever been to the Mid-South, okay? But our full sun is a pretty brutal area. Uh, And some of these Japanese maples that they mentioned was Bloodgood, Burgundy Lace, Emperor One, even Crimson Queen, which is a lace leaf, beautiful lace leaf Japanese maple. And they had like 25 other ones that they listed. But Jim, when they say Japanese maples that are good for full sun, I mean, what does that mean, especially around here? Because I've... It means the article was written for everywhere else in the country. <laughs> okay. All right, so, yeah. you're, so you, if you had a Japanese maple, I don't care what variety it was, even if it said full sun on the label, would you still try your best to protect it from the hottest part of the afternoon sun here in Memphis, Tennessee? For the best-looking foliage throughout the year, yes. Okay. For your best color, the more sun you give the bronzes, the better your color is going to be. But the issue is, Japanese maples, if you look at their zones, they have a fairly narrow area, like five to eight. Okay. But, you know... We're right at that low end. And our soil here, because we have a clay soil, Japanese maples are extremely shallow-rooted. So their their roots are way out across the soil. And if that soil is drying, yeah. that plant has difficulty getting enough moisture. Well, In soils where the roots can go deeper, you have a better chance of it staying not getting the the, the sun scald. Yeah. Sun scald comes on because when Japanese maples, when the soil temperature reaches about 70 degrees, they go into a self-defense mode. They shut the water movement down in the plant to retain moisture. And uh, and, and that, that soil temperature will get up to 70. Easily here. Easily. That's what I'm, right. Okay. Now, <clears throat> you still have the hot <clears throat> sun, the wind bearing down on it, and particularly the lace leaf varieties, that foliage is going to burn. You'll get yeah. little pits to drop out, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's all because that it's not replacing that moisture because of our soil. If we had better soil, deeper roots, you'll see you less of see that. You would see a lot of that, right. right. So it's just because of where we are that we get that sun scald late in summer. So not going to kill the tree. Yeah. It's going to come out next year, look absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Okay. 
So two things, though. If you're going to put it in more sun than shade, then I would go in there and put a light layer, not a heavy layer, but a light layer of mulch on top of that root system. Very good plan. I would definitely water more than... Let me let me back up. I would water more than normal because they really have to have that moisture if they're out there in full sun. Now, on the flip side of that, you better make sure you've got good drainage because they yeah. don't like wet You don't feet. want to keep them wet. <clears throat> That's right. 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 You right. might have to water just yeah. a little more often. Right. So the, the thing is, is amending the soil really well, using lots of root stimulators and watering deeply to, even though the roots run across the top, anything we can do to get them to... Just go down a little bit more, a little bit more. Because a lot of times all our roots are at the top of the soil level because we're watering just enough. And so the roots are coming up trying to get the water there. Yeah, yeah. it's important to water thoroughly and deeply when you water. Yes. Okay, but then let it go moderately dry. Before, before you come you back know. and do it again, Jim. But if you let it get too dry, you're just going to have more of that issue with the Japanese make. But I was scratching my head. I mean, they were flat out saying these will grow in full sun. And they will. And they will, like you said, but is there any, I, I've never seen a Japanese maple of any variety growing in full sun mm-hmm. that didn't have burn on that foliage. Not in Memphis, no. Yeah. In wow. Memphis, okay. Like you, we were talking in the break, Emperor One is probably the best one that I have seen perform here. Now, there are some that you want to give some shade. Anything that's got variegation in them, the, mm-hmm. the yellows. Um, butterfly that has the very, very serrated leaf and pinks and whites in the in it. Those you've got to give them some shade. Right. Okay. They'll just cook. Yeah. And if you cook that foliage off, then you will weaken that plant. Yes. And when you're taking off, you know, when you look at a leaf, if you're just losing five percent of the edge of the leaf, that's not affecting the overall food mm-hmm. production of that foliage. But if it's burning off fifty percent of that foliage, right. it's affecting the health of the plant. Right. Okay. So well, I wanted to bring that up because I know people will read the same articles that I read, and I'm like, I would never, if I could get away with it, plant a. I don't care what kind of variety. Yeah. Like Jim said, some of them you be, you better not anyway. But even the ones that they say you can plant in full sun, to me, full sun would be some good morning sun, some high shade, some filtered sun, mottled sun. But I would still try my best to protect it from that hot afternoon sun. And like mm-hmm. Jim said, you can take a blood good Emperor One, any of those, and you put it in an area that's just dappled light, it's going to love it there. Now, you might not get that beautiful color right. that you would normally get if it got a little more sun. Mm-hmm. In fact, you won't get that color. I have to say, if I didn't have any shade... I'd almost put a maple in full sun just to have well, it. That's, I mean, yeah. that's why I brought this up. Yeah, mm-hmm. We have one. Uh, we have a blood good that's planted in the front of my daughter's house. It's we planted it. I don't know, twenty years ago, and it's you know up top of the house. And we've had mm-hmm. to trim it a couple of times, um, but it's in full sun. Mm-hmm. You know, a southern sun all through mm-hmm. the winter and summer, so it gets plenty of that, and it gets a little burn on it, but it's healthy as it can be. You know. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the foliage, you know, you look at the, from the top, it's got real dark foliage. But lift up one of the limbs, and they're greener yeah. up underneath there. Yeah. It's just because of that sunlight's, you know, not mm-hmm. getting down there to bring out those red pigments. Yeah. Any, any other do's and don'ts other than good drainage, you know, light mulch? Because they don't like to have their root system really covered with the heavy yeah. layer of anything. Right. In fact, a lot of people don't put anything under a Japanese maple, especially the small ones. But I do like a light layer of mulch. I think it looks good. It does help hold that moisture in. And I think it helps regulate the soil temperature it does. also. Yeah. It you does. Know? Right. helps keep it cooler. Yeah.
I'm getting some new Japanese maples coming in next week. Some good varieties. We were yeah. talking about yeah. them off in, in the... Well, and there's so many out there now. I couldn't even pronounce it, and Jim's like, oh, that's oh, the... Well, yeah, at, what did I say? Atrilinear? Atrilinear, yeah. yeah. It's, it has very, very thin foliage on it. It's really unique, you know. Yeah. And the other one, or a Yusin you're getting, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful <clears throat> um, weeping variety. Very columnar, but I, I, I've had them five feet tall that had 10-foot limbs yeah. that come out and just go across the ground. Yeah, Ooh, I love them I all. I'm telling you, it's and then really one spectacular. Purple Ghost. No, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that one. Looking I'm forward wondering. To it. Okay, y'all, just hang on, because we'll be right back. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We uh, also want to, uh, as always, thank our our sponsor, Palladio Garden, for... uh, making this program possible and also uh, want to talk about one of our partners also uh at Herbie systems yeah i mean you, we've all heard let me kill your weeds uh, kenny mm-hmm. crenshaw on tv and everything else and he is a firm believer in let me kill your weeds and one of the beauty to me the beautiful things about Herbie systems in particular is and i've always said this is they are locally owned and operated from right here in memphis tennessee they know like kenny says on the commercials they know memphis yards they know Memphis trees. They know Memphis shrubs. They know everything about Memphis problems. You know, a lot of times you'll get these companies that are based up in New Jersey. Okay, well, they might know how to kill a weed in New Jersey. They don't know how to kill a weed here in Memphis, Tennessee. So if you're looking for a really good, comparable, people that know what they're doing type lawn care center, don't overlook Herbie Systems, I'm telling you. Good company. Yeah. And you if know, you want to give them a call. I've been doing their ads for four years. And like I said before, will you stop go talking? Ahead, Jim, I'm sorry. This? I'm sorry, buddy. I'm trying to tell them all the good stuff about Herbie Systems. Before I do their ads, I followed their drivers to make sure that they were doing things properly. You know, I sat down with Kenny Crenshaw. He explained his program to him, to me, and then through the years, I've watched him build facilities that were state of the art that were not required by law. Uh, he did. He went the extra mile in everything that he's done, and I think uh, I, I, you you won't go wrong. With herbicism. Now, you go ahead and tell them what you want to. <laughs> the phone number, Jim. <laughs> Love you. The phone number is 430 430-0148. Honestly, if you're looking for one of the best lawn care companies in the Mid-South, the guys know what they're doing. They're passionate about what they do. And you know what they want? They want the consumer to be happy. Honestly. And what is so wrong with that? Herbicisms, 430-0148. Thank you, Kenneth. You got it, buddy. <laughs> I'm just going to say, ditto, Irby system. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Jamie's actually sent me a, or Jan sent me a link to the Tennessee Home Fruit and Vegetable Garden calendar from the Agri Center. Y'all should check that out. It's really good. It's got a lot of, I mean, the Master Gardener calendars has, you know, great ideas, tells you when to do stuff also. But this uh, vegetable and fruit uh, calendar is really good for each month so check that out yeah good spray just, programs and that sort of thing yeah. to follow do you have the link i'll send you the link and you could post i it. don't we don't post links that's on right. our facebook See, group that's I, not did, what our group is about did i read the directions mm-hmm. your facebook group did i answer the questions <laughs> you know there <laughs> are lots of groups this? out there in fact yeah. the master gardener group is one of the best ones to, to become a member of you mm-hmm. know yeah. um the, and and but 
the, the Tennessee Department of Agriculture and their extension service is it's there for homeowners. And mm-hmm. they have lots of publications. They have one of the best publications on how to prune grapes mm-hmm. that, that I've seen anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so it's, hmm. you know, and they got all kinds, they got stuff on canning. They got mm-hmm. everything, you know, and, and these publications are free online. Yeah. Uh, they used to have them where you could pick them up. Uh-huh. I don't know if they do hard copies anymore or not at the Agri Center. Uh, but there are really some good, good information for Tennessee uh, gardeners. Mm-hmm. Man. Look, I've got notebooks full of like from Texas and from Tennessee, all extension um, agent put out or handouts, publications, just books or or notebooks full of it. And now all the information that I have is on like this little drive. (laughs) You know, so first you're carrying all this stuff and you look really smart and then you go, nope, all of it's on this little drive. Hey, that's just (laughs) modern technology right there at work. Man, so talking about all these great plants that are coming out and coming in stock, it's making me really ready to start doing the spring thing, which is okay to start the spring thing right now. You know, about two hours ago, though, I heard her say she she wanted still more winter. I yeah, did. she did. I, that's why I still want more winter. It's because, say, in the industry, I don't have the garden center ready yet. You yeah. know, plants are still mm-hmm. coming in, and, and we're just getting it all ready, and, and it's just too soon. But at the same time, the plants that we have in stock and the plants that are coming in, it's totally doable to plant now. Well, also There's the no same reason not to. You're right. In the same time with warm weather, I mean, people, they spring fever is just mm-hmm. in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you get a week of mild temperatures like we basically did, some beautiful weather, you could have been mm-hmm. out there in shorts and T-shirts and felt great about it. People start getting fired up. And I promise you, they'll come into the garden center and go, you know, do you have impatience? Do you have mm-hmm. begonias? Do you have tomatoes? Yeah. And so we got to just kind of scale it back it's just like, a little bit. Quit being so impatient. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> but you can't blame people, you know. And a lot of people really don't know. They think, hey, warm weather's here. Yeah. Let's go and get this stuff in the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, there again, the frost date is April 15th. And if right. you put anything tender out there before then, you're taking a and chance. Here's the thing. you We could order, like, from larger companies to come in now, the pansies and snapdragons mm-hmm. we could actually stock those right now but we're not going to be able to sell enough uh-uh. you know because maybe a few people are going to buy them but we're holding off and waiting for all the spring color so there is something snapdragons and pansies but then you're not going to get a long time and you're wanting to spend your money now on the spring stuff yeah you mentioned pansies and snapdragons most people plant those in the fall they're mm-hmm. hard to find this time of year yeah. the growers are out Right. You know, for the most part. Well, I got that availability from Heibel's. That's why I was talking about it. They've got lots of pansies and snaps. But mm-hmm. you bring them in, though, Veda. You're right. How many people are going yeah. to buy them this late in the year? Right. Yeah. You know, even though they would want to plant something. And we'd have to bring in carts and carts of them. <laughs> so you we're in that little dilemma. But they, that's the thing that comes from us being able to get plants from anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, as you can... Get them. It doesn't mean it's time to grow them, but you can get them. Well, I've told mm-hmm. people a thousand times in the last 10 days, planting trees, planting shrubs, mm-hmm. planting perennials, not a problem. Just the tender stuff. And if you do plant tender stuff, you just better be prepared to protect it. I'm mm-hmm. not saying you can't plant it. Or buy it again. Well, you know, hell, have plenty of it from all the way through June, probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Uh, there was a, uh, I was looking at, okay, the Proven Winners. When they first came out. They were just for independent garden centers, and they touted how wonderful they are and all, which they still are, but now, of course, you can get them in all kinds of places. 
but in different size containers. So now I think garden centers still get to get the big ones. But, you know, the attributes were like better hardiness, prolonged flower time, colorful foliage, increasing flower show. But one of the things was uh, being sterile. Why would that be a benefit? It's a benefit for companies not to let us reproduce our flowers. That's part of it, yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because I don't mm-hmm. know why I'd want not to receive. They don't want you to take their technology. Yeah. Um, years ago, I got to um, tour the Bayer facility that's out here at the Botanic Gardens, mm. where they they're very careful about who they let in. They very film everything so that you don't possibly take a stamen out of a flower to steal their and, their and, hybridizing program. Yeah. And, and what was this, Jim? This is the Bayer test facility that's at the Agri Center. Okay. Um, Bayer, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're you know because they're breeding for you know farmers and that sort of thing too. And I mean it's like a it's it's very very secure um, because that technology you know if they've got something you know that that's very special. You know, as far as pr- produces more, or you can spray dicamba over the top mm-hmm. of it and not kill it, but kill everything else exactly. in the field. You know, that technology is worth a fortune. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's it's a very secure operation, but it's you know, they're very particular. In fact, even with encore azaleas, technically you cannot use the pollen from those to reproduce. They, mm-hmm. in theory, own that now. How? Mm-hmm. I guess you could test that genetically if you tried to introduce your own line, um, but it's you know mm. amazing guarded well, think secrets of, now. Think yeah. about the Roundup Ready seeds and plants that have yeah. been on the market. I mean, and they watch that stuff big time. Oh, and yeah. the farmers yeah. try to give those seeds away just or some, tried to replant. Uh, man, they would come down on them. That's so right. you're exactly right. And Jim, uh, Jan Childress uh, texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid-South Garden. She said, Jim, there are still hard copies at the extension service. Okay, right. good, That's good. good. Oh, the last two for the uh, proven winners was the tolerance for heat and humidity and the resistance to disease and insects. And it is true. The proven winners do seem to proven out. Yeah, a lot of those, you know, are newer varieties now. <laughs> when they first started, they were using just varieties have been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I told you, they actually have a police force that goes around to make sure that it's being enforced, that if you're selling a proven winter plant, it has to be in, in a the proven pot. winter pot. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, when you buy the seedlings like at Dan West, mm-hmm. we would grow our own proven winter stuff. We would buy the, the plugs, and but we also, at the same time, had to buy equal number of pots yeah. to put them in. Right. Uh, and I had bought before um, Emperor Wu became a, a proven winter I had bought some and had had them on order for like a year before I was able to get them. Yeah. They came in in July, so we potted them up, you know, knew wasn't going to sell them to the next spring, but it's the first ones I could get. Yeah. yeah. And this guy shows up in the spring, and my Emperor Woos are not in a proven winter pot, and he is pissed, you know? <laughs> but, but, but. But when I bought them, they weren't proven winter. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, that's like Monrovia. You better only be putting Monrovia plants in a Monrovia pot. Yep, that's and those are the people that are growing now. Usually, when at the garden centers, we're ordering stuff that's already grown. Yeah, you know whether it's a proven winner or whether it's a Monrovia brand, well, we're bringing it was them in. Like yesterday, I had um, Alejandro divide up a snake plant, 
And I told him, you know, go put it in those the green buckets back there. And he picked the Monrovia buckets. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, if they come up here, they'll go, those aren't my plants. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll let them root out and then put them in another container. Well, when we get back, I'll have to tell you, I had a, a gentleman come into the garden center, and he wanted to get rid of this certain disease. And he was wanting to know the best way to do it. Or, or certain, uh, Should he have been at the doctor's? Well, you know, he was <laughs> trying to get rid of a fungus or a disease. So we'll get into Most of that's over the counter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into maybe he was looking at it at the at the wrong angle. <laughs> we'll we be right back after this break. You're listening to Mid South Gardening right here on KWBM KWB AM. You got it, buddy. <laughs> Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We have had so much fun gardening with y'all this week. If you were right at the end, if you've got that one question you want to throw out there, 260-5926. Yeah, I was kind of teasing people about what I was going to talk about going into the break. And so, and to me, I thought everybody should or would know this by now. But it's clear that some people still don't. And I'm talking about the guy came into the garden center. He said, look, guys, I've got a disease. I've got a fungus growing on my crepe myrtles. And we know that that's black sooty mold. And that's what he was talking about. But he was looking at this as a fungal problem on his crepe myrtle. Instead of being a byproduct of an insect problem. And I was like, well, you don't really need to spray your crepe myrtles for that black sooty mold you need to get rid of the insects that are causing the problem and the guy gave me a cross-eyed look like you've lost <laughs> you your don't mind know. you don't know yeah and I explained to him you know it could either be aphids during the growing season in the foliage or it probably the little white bumps that you see on the crepe myrtle called crepe myrtle bark scale and then showed him what to do to drench it which he bought the drench of course and he's going to do it now i said as far as the black sooty mold goes on your crepe myrtle you know, eventually it would dissipate if you give it enough time and you keep the scale, of course, off the crepe myrtle. Or you can go out there and lightly brush it off or you can get a pressure washer, low pressure, and I explained that to him because he had pressure washers, and lightly get that sooty mold off of there. But it was one of those things where he didn't know, and I'm not faulting him, don't get me wrong, but he didn't know that it was an insect that was causing all the black sooty mold on his crepe myrtles, and it was making them look yeah. horrible. So, Or you could just chop it down. No, Beta. <laughs> so I'm bringing that up. If you see black sooty mold, mold growing on the trunks and the limbs of your crepe myrtle, yeah, it's very unsightly, but you got to look mm-hmm. further than that. It's the insect, typically speaking, that's causing that problem. Right. Let's go to Ann. Good morning, Ann. Thanks for the call. You're in the garden. Good morning. Hey, Ann, good um, morning. How are y'all doing? We're great, dear. Thank you. Good. I have one question. Y'all may have uh, uh, gotten to this, but I have a forsythia, uh, and it's planted on the north side of the house, and it gets it doesn't have anything blocking it, uh, but it is not blooming. I mean, it just looks awful. And this is the second year in a row that it's done that. And I've had it for about 35 years. And uh, I just wanted to know, is it, what can I do? Is it in the wrong spot? It, please advise me. Well, has it bloomed before? I mean, you've had... Yeah. Okay, so you've had it blooming. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, well, go back to two years ago. It right. got frozen to the ground, probably. The flowers were destroyed. Okay. okay. It put out new growth last year. 
If it's on the north side of the house, the roots are shaded. So it's going to be cooler and it's not that the ones that are in full sun just started this last week. Yeah. So I wouldn't yes, ex- I, saw them. I wouldn't expect your flowers to open for another 10 days to 2 weeks. Okay? So that's oh. So that that, you know, and that should happen. Um Okay. I, I, nothing, you know, was severe enough the the zero that we had back earlier wasn't severe enough to hurt for for Cynthia flowers. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to come on just fine. Uh it, it's just you're a couple of weeks ahead, I think. All right, because we were we were uh, gonna uh, w- well we were gonna kill some of the, the grass. We live on a farm, and we we're gonna kill some of the the weeds and stuff. And I heard y'all say don't do stuff like that until the forsythia bloom. And I saw forsythia blooming, and mine was not blooming. Right. And I I, I just wanted to know about that. Mm. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I really enjoy your show. Hey, thank you very thank much. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, dear. Okay. Yeah, the timing for pre-emerge is is right now. Oh, now. you want to go ahead and do that and get that down. Uh, and the weather is just perfect now for long post-emerge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for post-emerge. Uh, so you do want to get that down. You know, but I think your facility is going to bloom mm-hmm. just fine. Yeah. And, and so but I more sh- I was thinking maybe it was in too much shade or the trees had had grown more. But they still do pretty good in even shade. Oh, they yeah. still bloom good enough. Yeah. Well, but it's good that you made the point because, you know, a lot of times we'll drive down the road and we'll see things that are blooming that we yeah. have in our own yard, like Ann's talking about, uh-huh. that ours aren't blooming. Well, a lot of times, that, like you said, that's just the location of that's where right. it is. That's right. You know, it, it's, this sure. root system's cooler. The, the ground temperature's mm-hmm. cooler. It's taking a little longer, you know, for everything yeah. to set. And then it would take longer for things to bloom. So it's all about location, location, right in the landscape. Yeah, so that'd be a good location for shade plants that don't like the heat so bad. Because that area seems to be a little bit cooler through the whole season, possibly. And I can't imagine, even if the only other reason that, it, to me, a forsythia wouldn't bloom is if you mm-hmm. cut it back late in the year, maybe in the in the fall, Um you know, because they're such an early season bloomer, that could affect the bloom. Yeah, if you cut it back late in the year, the flowers have already set for the following year. So, if I mean, if you did any cutting after July 1, right. you're losing flowers. But that's what I'm saying. But that would be a reason, though, that you, that you wouldn't see right. bloom. Right. And a lot of people, when these things start getting out of hand, they really don't know. They're not thinking about when or when they shouldn't uh, prune these things back. They'll go out there late summer, early fall, and they'll cut these things back. And then the next early spring, they're not blooming because you cut all the blooming tissue off. Right. Man, I think today we might start taking plants out of the greenhouse and just putting them out to get some air and some sun because what are the odds? There's a little bit of odds. We might have to put some up, but not all of them up. And when you say, what are the odds, what do you exactly well, do you that's mean? that's all I can say Or what are the odds. That's a question for all of us. <laughs> Not, shouldn't. not to worry. I know because Jim. <laughs> That's right. You know you've already told us, and it's been accurate. The Southern Oracle, plant uh-huh. Oracle good dude, me <laughs> said, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well, we're not saying plant. Don't plant tomato. Yeah, right. Okay. We're not saying plant. Okay. You know, yeah, I, because you know the roses can have foliage on them, and it gets to twenty eight, and they're fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. All you those know. kind of things. My oak leaf hydrangeas never lost all their leaves. I'm not going to put away <laughs> the thing that I used to scrape the windshield of the vehicle. Right. Just you yet. have to do that, but still, it wouldn't damage the hollies. Uh, so I guess 
It's spring, even though I want to wait. So I now sure I'm looking so. forward for those. I'm looking forward for that like couple of days where it all becomes kind of cool and rainy and cloudy so you can rest and and reevaluate and so i can do stupid desk work okay (laughs) as long as it's not cold right right that's the only thing that will make me sit at my desk is the bad weather all right real quick what do y'all think about climbing hydrangeas because i was doing some research on the moonlight climbing hydrangea which Mm -hmm. has more of a silvery green foliage the last time i climbed a hydrangea i broke the limbs yeah but aren't they beautiful though (laughs) and to me you know, when I think of a climbing vine, I really don't necessarily think of a climbing hydrangea. I guess because initially they're such a slow grower. And once they're established, you know, you can get some pretty fast growth on them. But, Jim, I mean, I saw one growing on the north side of a house on a chimney, a, a concrete, not a, a brick chimney, Veda. Mm-hmm. And this thing was in full bloom, and it was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking to myself, why do we not? Yes. Mm-hmm. Why do we not see more of that? So that's one of those plants that I got more negative reports on it than positives. And I never I, And have. I don't know, you know, why. But um, then yesterday, or not yesterday, but last week, it's funny you're bringing it up, but somebody was talking about him, and he says his bloom's like crazy. Of course, it needs to get to more light. You know, and, and some, you know, I noticed when they come in from like Monrovia, they're loaded with buds. They bloom their little hearts out, yeah. you know. But when often when you plant them in your yard it may be seven to ten years before they want to bloom again yeah you know they're actively uh-huh. growing they're growing up that until they get to up there near the top they often don't bloom yeah. but it is a good looking thing though it I'm does telling it you. is a nice vine you're right yeah. we should definitely not anyway it is time to go we will see you next weekend in the mid-south garden that was fun